Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Avatar Returns. I'm your host, Paul Smith of the Gobbledygeek Podcast, and joining me, as always, are... I'm Eric Sippel. And I am Arlo Wiley. And each week, we discuss two to four episodes of the Nickelodeon animated series Avatar The Last Airbender and its sequel series The Legend of Korra. Eric and I have seen both series before, but this is Arlo's first trip to the world of Avatar, so there will be spoilers, but only up through the episodes that we're discussing tonight. However, we're not talking about episodes tonight. Uh, this week, we're in between seasons of The Legend of Korra, which means it's time to check back with the Aang gang as we discuss the next collection of the official Avatar The Last Airbender graphic novel series from Dark Horse Comics, written, as always, by Gene Luen Yang, with art by the duo known as Guri Hiru. Uh, this time, we're on to Volume 4, Smoke and Shadow. Uh, and this marks the first time in this long, strange trip where I get to be the noob. Yes. Um, well, well, okay, Let's. I know we have uh, selective uh, forgetfulness on this, but you did get to be the noob for M. Night Shyamalan's that, The Last Airbender. This is true, this is true. And despite the fact that we just mentioned that before we started recording, I had completely blacked that out. So thank you for but, bringing that back up. But this is the first canonical time right. you get to be the noob. Right. Actually, I'm just a noob since none of us had read this before, but I'm throwing my friends a bone here and I'm wearing the official noob dunce hat uh, just for this episode. So, Yes, yes. This is because I actually had gotten to be the noob for these comics up till now, Right. I think, because it was one of my rare times. So, um, And actually, this marks, unfortunately, in all likelihood, the last of the avatar comics we'll get to do in the normal sequence of the show. We, I don't know. We haven't discussed whether we'll come back for North and South when the special volume of that comes out. I think we, we should keep coming back for these. I agree. I agree. I'm, I'm in for that. I, um, but for as far as the, um, normal (laughs) insofar as we've had normal schedules, um, goes, this is, this is our last go before we dive into Korra. And, um, I don't think North and South will be out by the time we finish Korra. So, Enjoy it, everyone. Yeah. Um, technically, North and South is out. All three volumes of the of the book are out. They just haven't been collected. Uh, when we do these podcasts, we go by the library editions, which are the hardcover collections of the the storylines or whatever. Uh, they're originally published in three little mini comic or little mini graphic novel volumes. Uh, per storyline and then those are collected in the library editions we've been using the collected library editions which come out afterwards obviously so that will probably not be available by the time we finish the regular run of this podcast we could always just do the individual volumes but as we just suggested um, Arlo and I at least think it's a good idea if we come back from time to time uh, to do more comic things and who knows maybe there will be future animated productions probably not let's not get let's not get crazy but 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 there is going to be the case yeah it would be awesome there is going to be there are going to be core comics too and they're they are canonical because um it's written by uh michael dante DiMartino. so we also have Cora stuff in our future, yes, which we the, can consider coming back for. The the first uh, the first volume of that, the legend of, the official Legend of Korra continuation, uh, will be called Turf Wars. Uh, it's written by Michael DiMartino with art by Irene Co. And that just like with the Avatar, it's gonna be just like the Avatar books. It's gonna come out initially in three uh, little individual 
books, and then those will eventually be collected into the larger editions. And that, the first one of those comes out in June of this year. The so, first, the first um, like volume or the first collected edition? The first volume, the first volume. Okay. So we're a ways away from the collected edition of that, but at least the story of Korra will continue uh, a piece at a time uh, by June so, of this year. Spoilers, everyone. Her head is not going to explode in season four. <laughs> or it gets put back together. For That's possible. Um, also, uh, but... also, one other thing. Uh, this is what passes for banter tonight, and then we'll get into it. Uh, in addition to the, the Legend of Korra Turf Wars comic that's uh, coming out later this year, um, I talked on a previous episode about the, uh, the Avatar The Last Airbender coloring book, adult coloring book that came out earlier. Um, that came out... Um, I don't remember when that was. Um, anyways, sometime last year, uh, that was really, those are coming out from Dark Horse. There was a, they're doing all sorts of, there was a Firefly, a Serenity, an Avatar The Last Airbender. There will be, they just announced there's a Legend of Korra coloring book uh, done by the same artist. Uh, we'll be retailing for fourteen ninety nine, dollars uh, and that comes out July of this year. Uh, that's going to have 45 pieces of original art. Uh, black and white artwork that you can color. So there you go. I, I just, I don't know. I remain unconvinced by these adult coloring <laughs> books. I know we've had this conversation before, but like I was at the comic shop earlier today and uh, I was just walking around. I heard some guy mutter under his breath, Darth Vader coloring book. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I you're not, you, you're not obligated to buy all of them, but like I'm, I'm flipping through the avatar, the last airbender coloring book right now. And, and, uh, the artwork's really cool. The problem is, like, if you could get, if I could get this on my iPad and color it on my iPad, that would be awesome, uh, because I just don't know if I'm ever going to bring myself to color on these actual uh, pages, just because right. they're so cool. But anyways, I as, own it because I'm a completist. I'm looking at it right now. As bad as the term adult coloring book is normally, I have to say it seems highly inappropriate when applied to Avatar. <laughs> you don't know what sort of pictures are in there. Hey, look, if I said adult coloring book of Zootopia, you would flash back to that Google inappropriate Google yes. search you all did about that. So yes. let's 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 just say that when you get into the um, the animation world of kids, the adult coloring book thing is just not a smart thing to, to throw around as a term because well, to, anyway. to be fair, the marketing for this doesn't actually refer to it as an adult coloring book. I think perhaps cooler heads okay. have prevailed and they've dropped that. Not <laughs> I feel better about that. I think now they're just referred to as coloring books, maybe. Hey, guys, was Googling uh, Avatar slash fiction a good idea? Um, no. Because no. I did. Stop doing oh. it right now. Because no. I did. Did you know no. that the, the Aang Zuko couple name is Enuko? That's cute. I, I don't know. I think it, it's not as good as Zang. Yeah, I thought we decided on Zang. Yeah, I like Zang. Zang is better. Um, there's so, a story there's a story on fanfiction.net could we have been chapter one? Oh, there are 19 chapters of course there are all right this needs to stop beautiful stop, stop beautiful so i have i have something i want to bring up maybe paul you might have been planning to bring this up at the end of the episode and we can defer till then but um i have been really excited that in the two weeks we've been off we have gotten some phenomenal listener mail oh yes yes um and and I don't know if you want to do it to wrap up the episode or do it now, but I, I they were so thoughtful and awesome that I just didn't want them to go unmentioned. They they 
they've beamed their thoughts directly to Monkey Yahtzee. And <laughs> yes. I feel like... Um, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I did actually intend to discuss that and then I forgot to write it down in my notes. So the, it might have gone unmentioned. Um, I don't know. What do you guys want to do? Do you want to talk about them uh, here at the top or wait till the end? Um, I feel like we should talk about them now. Okay. Uh, just just because you know, after the discussion, we you know it might not. Uh, since, since the letters are, are mostly about Cora, right? Yeah. It might. Uh, yeah. So I, I feel like we should we should start with them. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So uh, yeah, we we've gotten two really amazing emails here. Um, I'm just going to read these. Uh, the first one came from. Oh Lord, here's a name I'm going to have to try and pronounce. I apologize in advance. Uh, this was. Uh, listener Timothy, I'm going to say Heil, I guess. Uh, I apologize, Timothy, if you're listening, and that is not how to pronounce your last name. Uh, at any rate, uh, he wrote into us and said, uh, Hey all, first of all, some context. I began watching Young Justice a few months ago and looked for an accompanying podcast to further enjoy the show while not actively watching episodes. I discovered that the show whelmed the hosts are authors themselves, and they earnestly discussed the show's characters and plot with a seriousness and depth that elevated my enjoyment of Young Justice even more. Up until this show, I'd not experienced a podcast that was willing to mine a TV show for every gem and present it to the audience with such great care. Enter the Avatar Returns. Yay. Uh, when I completed my Young Justice binge, I began Avatar The Last Airbender and hoped that another podcast of such quality existed for this world as well. I am very satisfied to discover that your show surpasses my expectations by sidestepping the obstacle of pretense that can accompany taking a silly cartoon so seriously. Some sparring adult language certainly helps, too. I've finished Avatar and Korra and am watching them through watching through it again with my partner and look forward to each new podcast episode as they are released. Thank you again for the great show. And I encourage you to keep up the tremendous work. Take care. So that was Timothy. Thanks, Timothy. (laughs) Thanks. Timothy. Timothy, I want you to know that I also very recently went through young justice and I'm going to check out whelmed because I would also like to delve deeper into that show. So thank you for the recommendation. I appreciate that. Awesome. Seriously, that that was a very, very nice letter, Timothy. And if you're looking for another podcast that can enrich a television show for you, boy, have I got one for you. Oh, no. Smoke gets in your ears, a Mad Men podcast, the entirety of which is still available on iTunes. Please check it out. Wow. <laughs> wow, you just ruined that lovely moment. I that... did. I destroyed it. So that just happened. All in the name of self-promotion. <laughs> but it, 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 it's... In seriousness, I'm glad. I'm glad that this is edifying um, people out there in some way. We're enjoying doing it. I honestly, this has been a great week because I don't know about the rest of you, but I, you know, I feel like I'm doing this mostly for me. Like I want to talk about these shows, and I'm excited to be doing that. And and um, we've over time built up some really great listeners who have really awesome comments out there. Um, and, and but like this week was like a reminder that like hey we people listen and 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 have really interesting thoughts to share and anyways it's been exciting so it, thank you, you know, on, a, on a sincere note I, I completely agree because it often feels like um uh when you podcast uh, it can feel like you're sort of just talking into a void um that's how i always feel when i talk to paul um but 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 no that that's how it can feel and I just sort of assume after years of doing this, because in Gobbledygeek we don't get a lot of we don't get a lot of listener mail. Nope. Um, I just sort of assume no one is paying attention. So to get two very thoughtful letters like these, one after the other, um, means a lot. And I, yeah, I, I really appreciate your comment, Timothy. And uh, 
uh, the other letter that Paul's about to get to. Yeah, so the second letter uh, comes to us from Alice. Uh, again, apologies, I believe it's pronounced Wong. Um, Dear The Avatar Returns, I love your podcast, exclamation point. Uh, I just listened to your episode about the Legend of Korra book three finale and really appreciated your thoughts on how book three change was the climax of Legend of Korra and book four is the conclusion. So she's referring here specifically to you, Eric. Uh, Arlo and I will just sit over here in the corner and let you two share this moment. Uh, I wanted to share another of my thoughts on another way in which the book three finale relates to Legend of Korra's overall series structure. Avatar had a much more traditional narrative arc than Legend of Korra, so there was no real need to bring unity to the three seasons with the threat of Sozin's Comet and Fire Lord Ozai propelling the series from start to finish. Legend of Korra lacks that one central driving conflict. The book three finale tries to tie the first three Legend of Korra seasons together thematically. The very first episode of Legend of of Korra, Welcome to Republic City, introduced Korra as someone who defined herself as the Avatar. That same episode promised that the show would explore what the role of the Avatar was in the modern world. In Book 3's Venom of the Red Lotus, Korra hallucinates her prior enemies. Although their motivations and ideologies differed, Amon, Unalak slash Vatu, and Zaheer each argued that there is no role for the Avatar in the modern world. Each challenged Korra's very existence and identity. For me, that hallucination scene in Venom of the Red Lotus created a sense of narrative cohesion between the three seasons of Legend of Korra by highlighting the common thematic thread between them, even in the absence of a central series-long driving conflict. Can't wait until you guys get to book four. That's... Okay, so besides the fact that I appreciate anyone who who agrees with something that came out of my mouth, which is very rare, so thank you, Alice, for... (laughs) For um for someone I actually was like after the podcast I was like am I right about that climax and conclusion thing it sounded like a good thing to say at the time so I appreciate that that it, it rang true to someone but I love this take on um the villains and I can't believe I mean I've watched Korra twice now and I've watched these three and this idea that the Avatar has no place in the modern world is absolutely a tying factor of all three mm-hmm. and I never noticed that I never noticed that connection and it it. It, it's a, just an awesome call out. Thank you. I think it's a, a great um, analysis of what we've watched so far. I completely agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that, that is some, the, the unity between the villains is not something I had particularly noticed either. So that's it's. I, I feel really good um, now that Alice has pointed that out to us. And uh, I'm about to head into book four for the first time. I'm glad that I can watch it like with that knowledge in the back of my mind, like this is what the show has been trying to tell us and has been trying to explore. And it's, I think it's good to go into the final season uh, with, uh, with, with that kernel in mind. Man. So, uh, um, I mean, Arlo, you already talked about this, but uh, I, I actually, both of you talked about this. So now it's my turn to say that uh, I, I really can't express how much joy it brings me when we get any listener feedback, like any acknowledgement from anybody. We've had Scud Pie Show who writes into us frequently or at least tweets us frequently. And uh, yeah, anytime there's any acknowledgement that uh, it's more than just the three of us hearing our voices. I love that. Uh, but these two letters in particular were just so, um, so generous uh, and appreciative and um, uh, intelligent. And <laughs> I mean, I, I love this stuff. Please, uh, both of you, Alice, Timothy, um, you know, we love you. We love the, that you're listening. I hope you continue to listen. Thank you so much for reaching out to us. 
Um, uh, if anybody at home wants to know how these two lovely people reached us, uh, I'll say it again at the end of the show, but uh, the email address for us is uh, tarpodcast at gmail.com. I, I know I've said this before, but um, back in my early days of being on Gobbledygeek, but I, I occasionally am, am bowled over by the way that Paul sounds like an NPR uh, talk show host. <laughs> I was host. thinking the same thing. It, it was it was it was peak Paul as NPR what? talk show host there. That was that what? was great. It was wonderful. Not not that I mind because I I love NPR. But uh, what exactly did I do that was so NPRish there? It, it's like it's the the pattern, like the specific places your voice rises and falls. I, I don't know how to put it. I don't know if Arlo has a better call out, but it's just something about the rhythm of the way you you do things sometimes. <laughs> and you know when you were reading those letters, it occurred to me like. Um, like he like Paul has the perfect voice for someone and this is hilarious considering everything I know about Paul but he has the perfect voice for someone to like go to a library and host like story time for small children <laughs> I'm just imagining Paul, Paul sitting there with a with a a, a brood of children uh you know, staring raptly at him as he like turns the storybook around and shows them the picture before delicately turning the next page that's what you need to do with your life now Paul how dare you take that back? I, mean, I, I did. I did do a. I did do a deli counter of justice reading at the local library here. You know, there I were know. no children in the audience for that. Thank God. But. <laughs> well, thank you, Paul, for being our our uh, very excellently voiced. Um, I'm I'm, I'm Steve Inskeep. You're listening to NPR. <laughs> All right, let's let's talk Avatar. I'm super excited about this. All right, speaking of uh, uh, reading to an audience, um, yes. Yeah, so here we go, Volume Four of uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender: Smoke and Shadow. So, how the hell do we start these? I don't know how to start these when I don't get to throw to Arlo first. So, um, this one, uh, interestingly enough, the the three previous volumes they went in order. Volume One was the Promise, Two was the Search. Three was the rift. This one, even though it takes place after the rift, like chronologically, it's it is the fourth in the series. It really picks up from the search. And you know what my my feeling is that they are going to you know how every even numbered Star Trek movie is supposed to be like the best one. Right. Um, I feel like every other volume is going to be more focused on Zuko and his family because the way they end this volume suggests that they're going to return to that story, but we already know the very next volume is about Sokka and Katara's journey to the South Pole. Right. Um, so I feel like every even-numbered volume is going to be focused you know, on, on Zuko, and I, I would love for them to do that. I have no problem with that at all. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. I had actually noted, I'd made a note here to talk about the fact that uh, so far, four volumes into this theoretically ongoing series... Um, the focus has been at least equally on Zuko as it has been on Aang. Um, and yes. it didn't, I, I was just thinking of that sort of like overall plot wise and character development. I actually hadn't thought of it in, in specific breakdown, but you're right. Four volumes. And we've had two that are, are basically Aang and company and two that are predominantly Zuko. Yes, and so 50% of the comic book series so far has been about the series, and I'm including Korra in this, has been about the series' best character. <laughs> uh, so I, 
Yeah, I, I love it. I mean, anytime Avatar did an episode that was predominantly about Zuko, it was a complete standout, and that continues. All of the comics have been good, um, great even, but I feel like that continues to be a theme uh, in the comics. Yeah. Um, all right, so very well, briefly... I steal your thunder, noob. You're, you're the one who has to go first. <laughs> well, so just a very brief plot breakdown of this. Uh, this is... This deals with Zuko return. So in the search, Zuko went out looking for um, his mother uh, and he took his crazy ass sister Azula out of the insane asylum to tag along with him for some strange reason um, on that journey. Uh, and, and as we all predicted, he ended up losing control of her on the way and, and she kind of disappeared by the end of that. But the climax of the search was that he found his mother um, and she was sort of living under an assumed identity and with a, an altered face and she got her face back and she had a whole new family, a husband and a daughter. And, uh, but, uh, Zuko was reunited with her and they are now returning her, her and her new family are returning with Zuko back to the fire nation, uh, capital city. Um, and ba that is basically what this story is about. Uh, it's about Zuko bringing his family back, uh, his mother, Ursa, who, you know, uh, does not have the best history with the Fire Nation <laughs> and Capital City. She is returning. I mean, she she's not reluctant. She's happy to be reunited with her son, but she's sort of reluctant to return to this city where so many terrible memories uh, reside for her. Um, and things are not all uh, are not all like puppies and rainbows in uh, Fire Nation Capital City. I really wish it had a name. I wish they would give it a name other than Fire Nation Capital City. Flame Town. There we go. Flame Town. Flamey O, Flame Town. Anyway. Before we get into this, actually discussing this issue, can can you all help me out with something? Because I was really confused. Sure. Um, this takes place directly after the search, right? But the rift got put out after this? No, no. It's a, no, no. I wondered about that, but there's a, there's a reference towards the end of this. They reference... Uh, or wait, no, it's not towards the end. It's when, um, it's when Katara and Sokka decide to go on alone to the South Pole. Like they're gonna go down to the South Pole because they met the other uh, Southern Water Tribe people. Okay, so did it just the take them this long to get home? I'm like, because they're traveling with Zuko. What yeah. is Zuko? What was Zuko doing during the rift? He, I guess, I guess they were, well, in this, okay, in this, he says that he searched for Azula for, I don't remember, was it weeks or, it must have been weeks. He must have said weeks. Okay. Um, and I think that's meant to cover some of the time. And then you've also got the, the travel time that it took them to get back. But, but yeah, uh, this actually, chronologically, it does take place after the events of the Rift. Okay, I was... I was really confused, and because I'm on I'm on the road, I'm I'm, I'm I come to you live from Austin, and so I only brought this volume with me. So when I started reading, in my mind, the Rift was the last volume, but this felt at the very beginning like it was picking up directly after the search. And mm -hmm. so I got in my own head, and I was like, maybe maybe the Rift was volume two, and the search was volume three. That must have been what the case was. So I was just like super confused. Anyways, thank you for clearing that up. Um, uh, travel problems. I appreciate. Uh, I appreciate the check on that. So that makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I was confused by it a little bit too. But uh, yeah, those two references, I think it's meant to take place later. Um, 
okay so yeah uh it's not all puppies and rainbows in uh, in flamio town or whatever um because there we find out and I, I actually love this addition to sort of the mythology we find out that very realistically not not everybody in uh, the fire nation was you know thrilled by the fact that ozai was overthrown and zuko has stepped up to take his place there there is a contingent of the populace that wants to see the return of the one true fire lord meaning ozai um and they are they're conspiring to bring Zuko down in order to make sure that that happens. And they go by the very colorful name of the New Ozai Society, um, which apparently was introduced in a standalone uh, like comic um, prior to these coming out, which, to the best of my knowledge, none of us have read. It was called, the, it was called Rebound, I think. Yeah, it, it would have been nice of them to include that in this volume. Yeah, huh? yeah, yeah. That would have been cool. Uh, that's also where the character of Kalo, uh, who's the new love interest for May, uh, I guess that's where he comes from as well. So, anyways, there are other comics out there that are not part of this um, this graphic novel series, and we have not read those. So, apologies, anybody out there who wa wants our comments on that. But so this was our introduction to the new Ozai Society. Um, which that's what this is a good this is this was a good reason of why I like to wait for these collected volumes uh -huh. because I would have not had that information at all. Yeah. Uh, the the fact that these some of these things came from a prior volume having come from the side notes meant that I felt like I had the majority of the context. Although there is a character who gets introduced in here that I would have liked to have known a little more about before I got into this. But that said, the the notes were really awesome at letting us know that there was a backstory that that Gene had written that we just weren't seeing. Right. Um, all right. Well, so let's get into it. Uh, the <laughs> I feel like we've said this before. I know I've said this before. So much of the stories that we get in Avatar and Legend of Korra um, deal with issues of family, uh, specifically like parents and children. I mean, obviously there was Zuko and his father um, and, and his sister. And his uncle, so <laughs> all sorts of family. Uh, we've got the siblings, Sokka and Katara, and they also had to deal with their relationship with their father and the, the loss of their mother. Um, you know, Korra's got her father and uncle. Shit, fathers and uncles are big in the world of Korra, in the world of Avatar. <laughs> um, anyways, but in this, uh, so now we get, obviously we're continuing like the Zuko and his family stuff, uh, and we also learn that uh, and and Zuko's mother is back. Uh, we also deal with May and her family troubles, specifically with her father. And I am I'm just reminded that we've also met May's uncle. I cannot believe this. Fathers and uncles. Uh, so May's father was actually introduced um, on the series Avatar: The Last Airbender uh, in I believe it was Book Two, Episode Three. So it was Two O Three, Return to Amashu. Um, her father, her her family was in Omashu. They were occupying Omashu. Um, and her uncle was the warden, the prison warden in uh, 314 and 315, the, the Boiling Rock Part 1 and Part 2. I did not know that. <laughs> I mean, I guess I knew that, but I, I had not connected that we had gotten all that. That's I, I only know that uncle thing because I thought I... Re so the the... The footnotes in this, or the the side notes here, uh, 
they point out that, you know, we, we met her father previously on return to Wamashu. And I was thinking, and I was like, yeah, but we saw him later too. Wasn't he in that whole prison thing? So I actually went back to those episodes and I didn't rewatch the whole thing, but I like zipped through them and I, and saw the warden and then found out that he was her uncle. So, and it's just dawning on me now while I'm talking about fathers and uncles, that that's another father and uncle thing going on here. That is awesome. That is awesome. The, um, you know, there's there's two things that I feel like we keep recurringly talking about with, um, I think, the plots of many of the things we've been reading. and But it was the most in this. Did this feel especially relevant to the moment to oh. you all? Yeah, yeah, it really did. There's a, a part of me that I was reading this and I was trying to like – you know, I kept making Trump parallels, and then in the back of my mind, I kept trying to tell myself, like, just because, you know, we're living under the Trump administration, does it mean that I have to, you know, every piece of art is a Rorschach test where I have to see Trump's ugly face staring back at me? But this does seem super relevant. Yeah. And, I, I, and I'm positive it wasn't planned that way, but it really does. I mean, you know... Make uh, make the Fire Nation safe again, or whatever the their rallying cry is. I mean, come Sa- on, safety through strength, or something like that. But yeah, yeah. Well, and and um, I mean, very, and even like when you dig underneath, like the the obvious things, like that, like the that that whole thing was very much that. But like GLY in the notes points out that fear is a common theme mm-hmm. throughout this entire yes. volume, and. And that is so that fuels that part of the relevancy because we see the way the fear drives the social issues in the Fire Nation. But I mean, a lot of this is just because um, Gene is an extremely good writer who minds what's there, and the Fire Nation was a totalitarian state that is coming out of it. So, like, it's not like it's it's not like things were being needed to be pushed in a direction to comment on anything. The the Fire Nation was a commentary on totalitarianism in the first place in the cartoon. Um, but this really delves into some of the other sides of it and the way it wants to linger. Anyways, I, I was, I was, I spent the entire volume being like, wow, this is, this is way more relevant than even usual. And we've had comments about how things in this series have felt relevant mm-hmm. before, but this one was right out there. Yeah. In fact, uh, on page 221, the, the sidebar, uh, GLY says, so many of our political disagreements these days can be boiled down to a tension between security and freedom. Don't you think? Right. Yep. <laughs> yes, they can. Um, you talked about the fact that the Fire Nation was was a commentary on totalitarian. Yeah, whatever that word is that I can't say. Um, I I love the fact that in this we get just a hint of Fire Nation history, uh, and aside from the fact that you know it it once again demonstrates that. Uh, that some of some in the fire nation uh, are you know dictators because uh we find out that uh fire lord sozin had actually deliberately censored the fire nation's history he had actually buried any evidence that there had been fire lords before him so so many people in the fire nation grew up only knowing about sozin and ozai um that was a great touch that yeah. was a really interesting touch that like the fire nation began with um, Sozin, and that was all there was to it. And um, any, anything before that was fake news. Exactly. Yep. yep. 
but in the process of that, I mean, you know, buried underneath that, literally, uh, is the realization that uh, the, the Fire Lord hasn't always been a dick. I love the fact that we get just a touch of history. Uh, and in fact, in the side notes, uh, Gene says that he hopes at some point in the future... They introduce the concept, and we get to see an image of the first Fire Lord. We don't get a name or or much more than just the, the sort of bare bones of that character's history. Uh, but he's like, I hope, you know, in the future that that we find out more about this character. But uh, I, I just love the fact that the original Fire Lord was, was born out of peace and that the Fire Nation has not always just inherently been... Uh, like a warmongering nation. Agreed. Agreed. It was, it, it both, it, it really hammered home how the society, I mean, we, we saw a little bit of this in the, the school episode of, of mm-hmm. Avatar, how the way that the indoctrination of the fire nation worked, but this really drove home that it was like a thing that changed that when Sozin took over and fire nation became militant and genocidal, that, that was a an inflection point for the Fire Nation, and it's an inflection point that the Fire Nation is having a really hard time coming back from now. Yeah. This whole thing with the new the new Ozai Society and everyone's concerns with whether they're strong enough or not is is all the the baggage left over from generations of of indoctrination. And um, anyway, I, I I find that the that undercurrent in this very very powerful. Um, so what do we think about the, I mean, this, this is kind of a dumb question. We've talked so much about how, what a, a firm grasp of these characters, uh, Gene Luen Yang has, but, uh, what do we think about the characterization? We've, we've had plenty of examples of his, him writing Zuko up to this point, but this is our first real look at some of the other characters, like specifically May, who we haven't seen. We saw very briefly in the promise, just long enough for her to break up with Zuko. Uh, and that's that's the last time we've seen her. Um, and I don't think we've seen Ty Lee at all before this. Have we not? No, we. I thought we saw her in um, at some point or another in Kiyoshi Warrior makeup. I thought we had seen it. Was yeah, that in the series? I, I, I think we did. I, I think you're right. That might also have been the promise. And but that also would have been very brief. Um, yeah. Uh, and then Suki, I guess, is probably the same. I think maybe we've seen Suki's probably been on panel a few times. But anyways, this is. Without a doubt, this is the most on-camera time like those three characters have gotten uh, in quite a while. Um, so this is our first real look at how Gene writes these characters. Uh, like, how do we feel about them? And and how do we feel about the continuation of Zuko's story? So I'm gonna, um, can I oh, go ahead, Marlo? Oh no, you start us off, Eric. Um, this may sound uh, heretical to say this, but for the first time, I'm not sure. Gene got a character perfectly with May. Uh, it wasn't off, but something about it, I didn't hear her voice in his writing the way that I hear the other characters' voices. I, I actually agree with that. <laughs> That's interesting to me. I did not have, I, I did not come away thinking that. What makes the two of you think that he might not have nailed May's voice? It, it wasn't that it was bad. At no point did I read it and think, this isn't May. Like, I, it's not that far, but... When I read most of the characters he writes, I practically hear it in the actor's voice. Like, I can almost hear them talking, and that did not happen with May. And it, it, so it never, it never came to life the way that the other characters writing do. That, that was my take on it, Paul. I don't know what you, what you thought. Um, I had, um, 
it, I didn't have real trouble with it. Like it, it didn't necessarily pull me out of, th- like you said, it wasn't bad. There was never a point in this where I, I rolled my eyes or I felt like he, this is not the character, but there were a couple times where I questioned just for a second, if that was really like, if, if I really believed that's how may would react. And maybe it's just that I'm such a, a Zuko Stan. Maybe I'm such a fan of that character that the fact that she is really like her flirtation, her flirting with Kalo, um, like right in front of Zuko. There were a few times where I was like, man, this is, this is rough, man. Come on. Do you need to be this? Do you need to throw it in his face like this? Um, I, I don't know how much of that is accurate and how much of that is just me having issues, but I agree with what you said, uh, Eric, about hearing everybody's voice except possibly hers. And I, I was telling myself, like that crossed my mind a couple times, and I kept telling myself maybe it's just that with that character, more than any of the others, a lot of the performance that we saw on the show was was visual. Because, yes, the actress had a very distinctive voice and, and uh, vocal characterization, but so much of that character is her um, her mannerism, like her, her standing on the edge of the screen with her arms crossed, just very stoic or sardonic. Her, uh, her, her Daria-ness? Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you for boiling that down. Um, and I don't know, maybe that just doesn't translate as easily when it's just a static image. Well, and, and actually, I'm glad you said Daria, Arlo, because... Very specifically, I did not hear it in that Daria-ish pattern. Like she did, it didn't feel as like lifelike Daria-ish as um, as May usually does. And again, it's not bad. I'm not saying he got it wrong. It, it's just he gets everything else so perfectly, and maybe that's just what I'm reacting to there. Mm-hmm. See, I had no problem hearing her voice. Do you think part of it might be there's a sidebar where Jean says that? Um, you know, May has you know, he makes a pointed reference to the fact that when uh, May's little brother Tom Tom was first introduced in the series, she seemed to have she seemed to have disdain for him, just as she had disdain for everyone else. Um, but you know, the events that have occurred since then, including events that we might ne- not necessarily have seen um, on on page, since you know now she's she's with. You know, she, she's away from Zuko. She's with her family. Um, have sort of, uh, I don't, I don't know if softened is the right word, but it's have, have sort of allowed her to open up a bit more, so that it, this is kind of a, a different May that we're seeing. Well, th- there's a good, that's a good point, Arlo. It has been a little bit since the actual end of the series. Time has actually passed significantly for her, and we haven't been keeping up with her. And we also did not read the the story that brought up um, the new Ozai society and the other character whose name I can't remember, Kalo. but that seemed to Kalo uh, that seemed to be focused primarily on may and it resulted in may's mother being moved out of the house and she's living with her aunt mm-hmm. in this flower shop. So there've been pretty seismic changes in may's life since we last saw her. So to be fair, this might be him writing a version of the character who has changed and we just the three of us have missed the change yeah. and thus are missing what got her to that point and aren't tracking that change. So yeah. that, that actually is a really fair call out. Yeah. She's completely cut off from, I mean, she, she's not around her father anymore. She's not around Zuko anymore. She's not around Azula anymore. Um, it looks it seems like the only one of her sort of old old friends that she's ever sees anymore is Ty Lee and Ty Lee was always the, the most pleasant 
of any of that group. So, yeah, I, I'd buy that. I believe that. Spe- speaking of Ty Lee, um, there's a phenomenal bit of Ty Lee art in this, which is maybe my favorite thing we've seen in the series of Ty Lee, which is on page 45. Uh-huh. Um, at the bottom of the page, there's a bit of her in Kyoshi Warrior makeup, but making a Ty Lee face. <laughs> That I think it's just phenomenal. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a great picture. I like that. What's it? What page is it? Forty-five. Uh, Forty-five. <laughs> it's it's like <laughs> indeed it's pure Ty Lee, but is like enhanced by the Kyoshi Warrior makeup. It's great. It's great because it can be hard to recognize Ty Lee from a distance in the Kyoshi Warrior makeup because yes. her character design is not that different from Suki's mm-hmm. when they have the makeup on. Um, but once that look is like pure selling. Guru Hero just nailed Kylie. I was gonna, that. I was gonna comment on the Kyoshi Warrior stuff. I feel like uh, we brought this up in a previous. I don't remember if it was from one of the comics or from the show, but we've discussed the fact that the various Kyoshi Warriors, the way you can tell them apart is they're, they each have a slightly different headdress or whatever. That helped a lot in this because I will say one of the very few. It's not a. It's not a super weak point, but one of the weaker points in this particular volume, one of the things I struggled with more here than in the previous three volumes, was the transition from scene to scene. Sometimes you'd go from one scene to another, and, and especially, I think, when there's the the two-pronged attack, the attempt on Zuko, where they've got the decoy, and then the, the uh, new Ozai Society people attack the decoy, Meanwhile, there's a real attack on the real Zuko location happening, and it cuts back and forth between those, and you've got the Kyoshi Warriors in both scenes. Um, and sometimes it was difficult, for me at least, to follow which group we were with at which point. I had that same difficulty. So I really... I definitely had to flip back and forth. It wasn't like I can't figure it out, but I had to think about it. Yeah, I really... the The different... Uh, looking at Ty Lee and and making a mental note of exactly what her specific Kyoshi Warrior headdress looks like helped me a lot <laughs> when I when I tried to to follow along. So uh, points to the art team for that. Uh, Arlo, did you did you have any any problem with that that sequence too? The um, the attack cutting back and forth. Um, as far as tracking who was who. Mm-hmm. And where you were, like, uh, uh, I want to say immediately upon turning the page, it was, I'm not talking about, like, I was confused for pages, but, like, I would turn the page and be like, wait, which group am I with? Flip back, flip forward. Oh, okay, I'm here now. That yeah. was sort of what was going on. Um, I don't know if I had a problem tracking which which group of characters I was with, but as far as being able, I think especially with, with Suki and Tai Lee, it was very difficult to tell them apart. And I don't think that's on Guri Hero. It's just, you know, they're literally wearing the same stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. With, with very similarly shaped heads. I mean, like, their character yes. designs are are not as dissimilar as you would think. It's, 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 you... it's the hair that, that, that tells you who's who. And even then, the hair is not super distinctive. Yeah. Uh, so, so speaking of Suki, have we seen much of her and um, Sokka in we, these volumes? We we have not. Like, I mean, obviously we've seen Sokka. You mean together, though, right? Yeah, the two of them together. I, mean, I don't think I don't think there's been zero of it, but I feel like we haven't seen much of them together. Uh, again, we haven't. Again, is... I feel like it might have just been the promise, which is the first volume, which picks up yeah. immediately after the animated series. I feel like we saw I we got a right. little bit of the the lovey dovey stuff between them there, and that might have been it. That might be all that we've gotten. 
Yeah, and, and I, uh, I, I really like the fact that uh, toward the end, when she encourages Aang to break off and do his own investigation, it's because she knows that's what Sokka would do. Yeah. And so even though we don't get the two of them together here, I still really like that that's, that's where her mind went because of Sokka. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, and, and honestly, speaking of Sokka and Katara, this, this book does something really interesting, which is shunt them off the story very early. Yeah. This is, this is a very stripped-down Avatar story this in terms is, of who we say. Okay, so let me ask um, if you guys think that this is something new that this, the comic series has done um, or if it's just more apparent to us because we happen to know what the next volume is going to be. I, I, I feel like my response to this, the moment where they go off, uh, you know, where they get written off, basically, um, I was like, well, that's something that the books have not done up to this point, which is where they very specifically set up the moment that will lead to the next volume. Um, I feel like for the most part, the three volumes before this have all been very standalone. I mean, obviously they've referenced each other, but it, it's been kind of one and done stories for the most part. And uh, this, I was like, oh, this is them being written off because they have to go to the South Pole for the next volume. Did you think that was very specific or, or, or called out? Or is it just because we happen to know that's what the next book is? I think it's very clear that they are being written off to, you know, start their own story. Even, even if I didn't know what the next volume was, I don't know if I would have... Mi- I don't know if I would have made that connection like the next volume is going to be about their journey, but I, it would have been very apparent. Like, you know, we're going to see more of that later. Um, and I actually think that's, uh, I'm glad they did that because I think Sokka and Katara might've been a little too much for this specific story. And they sort of had to do it because it, you know, since they are tr- still, even though we didn't see Zuko in the rift, they are still traveling uh, with Zuko. So Sokka and Katara are going to be there. Um, so they had to have them at the beginning and then they had to, to, as you said, Paul, shunt them off. Um, and I, I didn't have a problem with that. First of all, I said, shunt them off. I'm not, I'm very offended that you confused me with Paul. Um, but that's the second time that's happened. Second episode in a row that's happened. That's, uh, I I would say that's embarrassing, but I don't pay enough attention to either one of you for it to count. So, (laughs) um, I didn't have a problem with that. Are you two different people? Oh, God. I did not realize that. <laughs> I didn't have a problem with them being written off. Although I will say I did I did miss uh, Sokka's humor. I feel like this is the least... This volume had, like, the least comic relief. Is that fair? Or am I just not remembering how no, funny I, it well, was? I, I, I think so, you're right. But there is there is some pretty good stuff in there with Aang in particular trying to diffuse the awkwardness yes, yeah. first, first magnifying and then immediately trying to walk back the awkwardness yeah. of uh, the uh, Zuko may Kalo triangle. And also Iroh had some killer lines in, <laughs> yes. uh, as in he this always, one, as he always, does. especially with the, uh, with the hand waving, like, is it, um, it, what do you think? Is my hand waving filled with enough angst? I've been practicing all morning. <laughs> I mean, there's there's some good stuff in here, but no, I, I think you're right. This is the least overtly comic of the uh, Avatar comics. Well, I think it, it it all comes down to the lack of Sokka when you when you really get there, generating um, 
comic relief without Sokka there is difficult in the same way I think uh, Korra would have a hard time without Bolin mm-hmm. around. Just because and to be and to be honest, this is a credit to the writing of the characters that the when you're writing characters consistently, they don't just fill in the level of comedy that you would have without that character there. Right. You get the comedy he, those characters would do, but not extra comedy to make up for it. Yeah, he didn't just transfer the jokes that would have been for Sokka to another character. Exactly. So we get Ang type humor. Like all the Ang humor we got was total Ang humor. All the Iro humor we got was total Iro humor. It's just that you don't have Sokka there to make the kinds of jokes that Sokka would make, which which changes the style of comedy for the show specifically. And since we're so used to having Sokka there all the time, it feels like the comic style of the show when really it's kind of just good character writing. Yeah, that's a really good point, though. Even with there being less comedy in this book, I, there was one particular joke that was funny that made me laugh. But I wondered if, if maybe it was going a little too far with, with so uh, when uh, they're talking about how uh, Ukano has, you know, he has the new Ozai Society, and now there's the Safe Nation Society. Um, and Aang says, that guy's really into societies. And it's a cute little joke, but isn't Aang smart enough to be able to put two and two together? Because Suki is immediately like, or maybe it's the same one. <laughs> like, I think I, uh... Aang is, I know he's a kid. I think he's smart enough that he would have put those two together. I mean, maybe given time, but... You know, on on the series, he wasn't the brains of the outfit. Like, Sokka was the brains of the outfit. If that had been on Avatar The Last Airbender, Sokka would have been the one to say, wait a minute. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I don't know. I didn't didn't necessarily have a problem with that. But Um, I'm just glad that I'm here to uh, nitpick stray stray jokes in a relatively joke-free comic book. There that's, you go. That's my role on this podcast. Plan to your strengths. Though, Plan to your strengths. Though, but though this one was less jokey than most of the other ones because you didn't have Sokka, this was, as dark as this could get, far less bleak than The Promise, which remains about as bleak as this universe ever gets, I think. I would and, agree with you. I, I think mm-hmm. the uh, the backstory that we get for the, uh, I'm going to butcher this, K- Kimuri Kage... Kamurakage, Kamurakage, yeah. Um, that is pretty friggin' dark, but I think on the whole for the story this is telling, I think you're right. It's not as bleak as The Promise. Yeah, and I mean, I think that I, I don't want to make The Promise is probably a little less bleak than uh, the emotional stuff Cora herself goes through. But as far as a story goes, The Promise was dark. The Promise was super dark. I mean, it came down to Aang's going to have to kill his best friend. Yeah. And and this never gets quite that. But I'm gonna say it never gets anywhere near that dark. You know, it's crazy because the prom. You're right. The the promise is the darkest of all of them. I mean, it dealt with we were on the verge of another war, and and Aang was gonna have to kill Zuko, and so on and so forth. But there was an awful lot of comic relief in that too, because you had, uh, you had um, Toph and the, her her what she call them? Lily livers? Is that what she called them? Yeah. Um. And they were like practically nothing but comic relief. And there was a ton of them in there. So even though that was the darkest volume, I feel like it had maybe the most humor of any of the yeah. books so far. Well, this is really the only time in the comics that we haven't had the whole Aang gang around. I mean, when you that's really the difference here. And that's and it works. I actually did not think it was going to work. And that I, I should 
probably flip this to a compliment to the book, but an Avatar story without Korra, sorry, without Korra, without Sokka and Katara should not feel this right mm-hmm. as an Avatar story, but it actually really works despite the total absence of two thirds of the main cast. Yeah. I mean, in the search, we didn't get Toph and, and, you know, we were upset about that, but it was the rest of the gang. Um, and then in the rift, it was the rest of the gang minus Zuko. So the promise is the only time we've had the full group. Um, right. But yeah, but, this, this really whittles it down to, to basically just Aang and Zuko and, and right. the sort of supporting characters. But And when you, when you think about the arc of the whole series and who is main characters, that means it's basically just Aang and it's the only time I think we've had a, like a major arc where it was Aang and we did not get any of the other two starting main characters. Um, like I said, and yet this really works. So well, you'll, re- you'll remember my theory that uh, Avatar The Last Airbender really started life as a show about Zuko. And they, then they realized Nickelodeon wasn't going to full on go for a Zuko show. So they had to like, like cr- create all this other stuff and then just, you know, sporadically tell the Zuko story. And I think now it's, it's finally coming into its own as, as the, the Zuko show. So season one of avatar was really, um, Zuko origins, avatar, the last airbender. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh man. All right. Well, okay. So let's talk about I Zuko. Love, I would love a Zuko origin story about him getting you know, ruthlessly bullied by Azula. Oh God! I, well, that it. was that was all of Avatar: The Last Airbender. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's what that was. Um, so let's talk about Zuko and his journey in this. Um, wait, 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 wait! I just had like a Muppet Babies version of this series stuck <laughs> in my head from that, and I just wanted to share that with the world. Go ahead, Paul. I'm sorry. I love it. That's beautiful. Um, yeah. So Zuko. Uh, all right. So here are my thoughts on Zuko in this. I, I actually I wrote down the note. This is the first time where um, I was taking notes as I went, like, as I read each, each, uh, part, part one, part two, and part three. So in part one, I think it was part one. I've, I've lost track now, but early on, there's a moment where, uh, people are just haranguing Zuko to make a decision. It's, it's one of those, we've seen it a few times in previous volumes where Zuko has to be the fire Lord. He has to make some sort of uh, governing decision and people around him are just you know, browbeating him about what he should do to prove that he's a strong leader. And he always, he always caves. He always makes the wrong choice. That The tragedy of Zuko is that he wants to be so good and he always allows himself to be manipulated into doing dumb shit. Uh, and the, at least the first opportunity we see in this book, maybe the, the first couple, but certainly the first one, um, he, everyone is, is just browbeating him and Aang is there and he's like, no, no, Zuko, don't don't do this. And literally it's a page turn at the, the end of, of the, the last panel on a page you're, I'm thinking, Oh God, here we go again. Zuko's about to ignore Aang's advice, even though he sent for Aang, even though he specifically asked for Aang. So Aang could come and counsel him. He's going to ignore Aang and he's going to make this terrible decision based on all these, all of his generals or whatever that are telling him what to do. And you flip the page and he's like, no, we, well, I agree with Aang. Aang is right. We'll do it this way. And I was like, yes, finally, Zuko is is getting his head on straight. And then I feel like the rest of the book basically is about how Zuko is being manipulated, like like very, very overtly. The, that's kind of what the plot of this book is, is that in the end, you find out it's basically all about Zuko has been manipulated into making these decisions. Zuko's a bad leader. Right. I mean, 
let's just be really, really blunt here. He sucks as a Fire Lord right now. And his heart's in the right place, but he has not gotten it figured out, which is accurate. The fact that he has not ruled anything ever, but right. he's definitely fucking up a lot. I just, I... <sighs> I want to see that start to turn around. I and mean, I guess we did see it start to turn around because like I said, in previous volumes, he just would have immediately gone with the bad advice and here he at least resisted it the first time. Uh, but I was a little disappointed that base that for all intents and purposes, the MacGuffin or the, the hook of this whole thing is that spoiler alert, Azula is back. I mean, we're, we're going to get to that obviously, but, and we find out in the end that this is basically, it's been about nothing but Azula manipulating circumstances in order specifically to manipulate Zuko. And that is perfectly in character for Azula. I, that makes total sense. But I kind of hope that stories in the future will start to steer away from that. Yes, friends. What Paul has just said is that if you really wanted to see a Batman Joker story starring Zuko and Azula, you should totally read Smoke and Shadow. <laughs> I hadn't thought That's of right. that. That's right. I had not thought of that. But but yes, I think that Zuko, I mean I think Zuko is going to start growing. He's better than he used to be. He actually listened to Aang briefly before getting pushed around. But um, but Azula does totally Joker him in this in her uh, attempt to show that he's a member of the family. Um, and uh, Azula's characterization in this really works. It's nice to have real Azula back, so it it's good. But yeah, Zuko is um, Zuko does not know how to check himself without Iroh there. And I think it's actually really the lack of Iroh at his side mm -hmm. that screws with him. With Iroh there, I think Zuko would be making way better choices. But understandably, Iroh needed to retire and stop making good choices for Zuko. So <laughs> yes, I, I, I was just going to say, I, as much as I really wish that Iroh would, would continue, like be his right-hand man or his court advisor or whatever, I, it's, it's so important for Iroh to go live his own life. <laughs> I'm so happy that the Jasmine Dragon is still around. I'm going to um, see this is where I'm in my life. I'm going to make a Hamilton reference after that. He's got to get his right hand man back. Yes. Excellent. There you go. There you go. See, one I can us, do it. One of us. I can do the thing. I did the thing. Julie do the did thing. The thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just think, guys, I think Zuko is just a very sensitive, vulnerable guy. Okay. He would, you know, he's, he's like 18 or 19 at the time of this story. Yeah. He should be like, you know, in his fr like freshman year of college, listening to, to Green Day in his dorm room while while everybody else is out partying, he's just listening to American Idiot on repeat. Uh, specifically, you know, "Wake Me Up When September Ends." That's his favorite song. <laughs> that that seems like Zuko. Yeah, um, like he's just he's he's super sensitive. You guys, okay, back off. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Um, and what about his mom? So, so this is another, you know, I realize now that I'm about to probably complain about more things in this volume than I ever have about one of these, which is going to make it sound like I don't think this is good, where I think it's actually really fantastic. But I don't feel like his mom ever gelled as a character in this mm -hmm. for me. It never. She seemed to be a collection of, of ticks and like things that were concerning her and never really seemed to get an arc to go with. It was just that she was freaking out the whole time and then it was over. Actually, I feel like, I agree with you, but I felt like her purpose kind of boiled down to, uh, now don't get me wrong, I loved the catharsis at the end. I love the fact that her story in this book ends with her finally confronting Ozai and cutting him down. 
like com- like completely shutting him out and how that fucked with Ozai's head. That was great. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure that that moment was earned by everything that happened uh, prior in the volume, but I feel like most of what her purpose in this book was, uh, was to serve the development of, this is the character. I don't know how to pronounce her name. Kai or how, how Ki- are we? I, I was reading it as Kiyi. Kiyi. Okay. That is a weird. Kiyi was how I was reading it too. Yeah. Uh, that's a difficult name to say out loud, but we'll go with it. Kiyi. Um, <laughs> Uh, because uh, just want to call her Kiki. <laughs> no, no, unless until she starts riding around on a on a magic broom. Um, no, I I feel like the the mother was more to serve the development of Kiki, which is a weird thing to say because uh, Kiki has that wonderful moment of growth at the end where she discovers. Uh, Basically, what I'm saying is Kiyi didn't have an awful lot to do in this book either. Like, Kiyi was was just there to be a, a bundle of neuroses wrapped around her mother and her and, and also her affection for her newfound older brother. Um, the mother was just there to serve as a catharsis for this young child to eventually have this moment of growth at the end where she learns to be, uh, learns she can firebend and eventually welcome her mother back into her life. So... It's really touching stuff, but it didn't get enough page count in this book, I feel. I feel like I am the odd man out this podcast because I'm not having any of these problems that you guys are having. Um, I, I was, was Ursa like a predominant character in this book? Maybe not, but I felt like if you... Uh, I think what might be hindering this for you guys is the fact that the rift came in between the search and uh and smoke and shadow i feel like if this was the very next volume it just would have felt like a continuation of what uh, of what was already established about ursa and so i i thought her journey from absolute fear to step you know to step foot in the uh fire nation um to at the end confronting, you know, seeing fear with unclouded eyes, as Iroh says in that fantastic monologue, um, to in confronting Ozai, and then finally, once she stops being afraid, and once she stops, or once she starts uh, being herself again, to be truly accepted by her daughter once again, I thought that journey was 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 beat by beat perfect i i had no problem with it so no you know what actually arlo thank you for um for pointing out the um the ending part of this because while i really struggled with the maybe the overly repetitive notes of the child not liking her and yelling about her hands being cold which i feel like happened maybe like 17 times (laughs) in the series in this one but you're right every the thing when she faces ozai is phenomenal and um, maybe I was getting my head too early into the book and not thinking about where everything paid off, but that is a phenomenal scene and a phenomenal payoff. And honestly, I feel like the first time we have seen Ozai that humbled, yeah, she, yeah, yeah. he is, he goes, he loses it when he can't um, demean her. And it was really cathartic seeing Ozai, who Zuko has never been able to break, never been able to really get one over on him that way, and her calm rejection of her fear of him was 
was really powerful. Yeah, well, I, wish, I, wish Zuko, the... I wish Zuko could have been there to see that so he could see how it's done. <laughs> well, well, Ursa has been um, Ozai's longest standing plaything. You know, the, the, mm-hmm. the person that he has subjugated the longest in his life. And so I think that's what's especially upsetting to him is that, you know, he is always, you know, for as long as they've been together, which or as long as he has known her, which has been a very long time, he has always been able to control her. And now the person he was always able to control, he suddenly can't. And I think that kind of puts some things into perspective for him. Yeah. Look, I don't, I don't disagree with you guys. I, I like, I didn't feel like either, um, Kiyi or Ursa were poorly written or anything. I just, I, I felt like they didn't, I felt like there was too much going on in this book and um, that story might have deserved, in my opinion, might have deserved a higher page count than it ended up with, maybe. But regardless, like I said, I was super, I was thrilled by the end. In fact, one of my favorite scenes in the book is when they actually when she finally comes to, back to the palace for the first time and she hesitates at the threshold and there's that moment where she, yeah. she won't step across the threshold. And when she does, it's, it's a sigh basically as she enters this palace for the first time in however many years. Well, in fact, isn't that a, like a page turning moment? Like the, like one page ends with her, her foot, like right behind like the, 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 the dividing line or the, the, the doorway. And then you have to turn the page, you know, because traditionally in comics, you know, that's supposed to be like the page turning moment. And then you turn the page in the first panels, her stepping over. I thought that was a, a really, a really great way to sell that moment. Yeah, you're right. It is. I, w- I was going to say, no, it all happens on one page, but it was a pain page turn when she steps in. Um, I am making some really good points this podcast, you guys. I feel like I finally, <laughs> I, f- I finally redeemed myself for all the asinine shit I've said. Arlo, this is your finest moment on uh, the entire podcast. I, I think this is. This I think is, it really is. You Episodes. have you have, re- you, you have reached the avatar state for yourself <laughs> in this. Uh, the episode's not over. We can still poison you with uh, mercury before we're done. Um, <laughs> Okay, so oh, speaking of since uh, that was a reference to Legend of Korra, uh, spoiler alert: <laughs> we find out that uh, in the second episode of Book Four of Legend of Korra, we're gonna be introduced to dolphinfish. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that. I just it's fascinating, Eric. I need to give you props again because this whole doing one volume of this comic between each season of Korra was your idea originally. Um, and it has worked out tremendously. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if you were just lucky or if you knew going in that these things were oh. going to be paced <laughs> the way they are. Pure luck. I mean, not only was it luck because I had never read any of these before, but Smoke and Shadow wasn't even out when we made that decision. Yeah, yeah. And like, so this is this was just a a rare moment of intuition for me that this would be the right the right thing to do so thank you eric for lucking into a good idea you can't figure out how to do it regularly but <laughs> every once in a while you accidentally get a good one so well the, the pacing of this has just been tremendous so I, I just love the fact that in the 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 sidebar of this volume we get a reference to an episode of cora we're going to be talking about next week so I, uh, I I really love uh the dolphin fish as someone who just had to write a paper on the differences between or on, or on why dolphins and sharks are so different from one another. 
I, I appreciate the combination of dolphin fish. As a, as a former zookeeper, I'm desperate to ask you what the difference is. I want to test you, but we can save that for another time. Well, a dolphin is a mammal. Uh, a shark is a is a cartilaginous fish or whatever that word is. Yes. Wow. Um, dolphins have small have small hairs. They have lungs instead of gills. Um, et cetera, et cetera. You know, they, they you know, they're, they're, they nurse, they, their, they nurse their young with milk. Yeah. So yeah, have we, have go. we seen other hybrids that cross species boundaries like that? I'm, like I'm sure, be... I'm sure well, we yeah, have, they, but I... they, they mentioned, they mentioned the frog dog. Oh yeah. Okay. There we go. I was just curious. A lot of, most of the things we've seen have been mammal, mammal crosses mostly mm-hmm. like most of them have been mammalian. So, um, but that's cool. I'd forgotten about the frog dog. All right. Do, do we actually get to see to see a frog dog at any point in the series? Because that sounds awesome. I want I, a frog I, dog. I don't. I don't, I don't so. remember. This is the only mention of them I can think of. It was great. I love all the, all the stuff with the kids in the in the the kidnappers' basement, which was speaking of dark. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, those scenes were sort of played lightly because the kid, for the most part, the kids were all, you know, calm and having fun, except the one girl who kept crying. But when you really think about it, these are children who have been abducted by scary spirit looking things that turn out to be Azula, which is even more scary. Um, yeah, that was kind of dark. <laughs> But they had a TARDIS in there with them. I saw that. So, I saw so, that. So what? They they what? really could have just you know hopped in there and gone to any you know, any time and place they wanted. It's it's actually just a big lantern, I yeah, think. Yeah. But um, I absolutely it looks suspiciously <laughs> like a TARDIS. Give me give me a page number here. What are you talking about? I'm, I'm looking for it. I'm looking for it. Hold um, on. I, I I made a note of it. Let me pull it up. Uh, page one forty three. Oh, I'm past that. All right, I'm I'm looking at this. Let's see, 143. Yeah, I mean, it really is. Okay, so it is definitely like a traditional lantern. Like it is 100% a uh-huh. like a proper lantern from what I can tell. Like, but although bigger than usual on but the inside, bigger yeah, on the know. inside. But, I it, actually, but it definitely has a tardish ish tardish ish uh, silhouette. I actually I, think on page 144, the top panel, I think it looks even more. In fact, that might be where I. I first had that thought. That might be the panel where I was like, what is a TARDIS doing? It, oh, it's a lantern. Yeah, because it even has, like, the differently sized windows. And, yeah. yeah. So I, I think that's, yeah, it's it's so a TARDIS. There, there is a, a Doctor Who Avatar The Last Airbender crossover out there to be written. Should I Google <laughs> Doctor Who Avatar slash fic? You, you should. Uh, who am I kidding? It's already been written. I'm sure it's out there. Oh, Please oh I'm sure. Please don't Google it. Paul, move us to the next topic quick. <laughs> okay, the next topic. Um, let's see. Who have we not talked about? Um, uh, Aang. We we talked a little bit about Aang. I don't know. What? Uh, where do we go from here? Um, let's talk about Azula. All right. So the big reveal. Who saw the reveal of Azula coming? I'm always the worst person to ask because though I am a writer and should notice these things, I never. I'm never thinking. Almost. I'm almost never thinking far enough ahead in a story to, to, to get these things, even when they're obvious. So that was a, that was a complete surprise to me. Eric. I did not see this coming at all. I, I assumed that because the series seems to be generally playing the long game in terms of when it brings characters back, I was not expecting to see Azula back yet. I, I agree. I did not see it coming. I suspected that they were, 
Wait, I'm, now I'm trying to remember when the footnote was. Was the footnote before or after the Azula reveal? Because at one point in the in the sidebar, Gene mentions the fact that uh, that the Kamuragage Kamurakage were are uh, based on an idea that uh, Brian and Michael had for the show and never got to use, where they were gonna they wanted to do. Um, basically the Fire Nation version of the Kiyoshi Warriors, a bunch of female warriors in the Fire Nation. Do you remember? Yes. That was earlier yes. in the book? Yes, I or... do remember that. Yes, he mentioned that that was sort of the genesis of the Morikage. Okay. okay, so then that must be what it was. Because at one point before the Azula reveal, I remember thinking, these are all women. I, I, I specifically remember thinking, this is like the dark version of the Kiyoshi Warriors. Uh, but I did not expect that it was going to be Azula, because... Um, just like you, Eric, I, I wasn't expecting Azula to come back so soon. I thought she'd be kind of missing in action a little longer. So what do we think about her? I'm not a hundred percent sure I would have picked up on this. Yeah, I probably would have, but, but the fact that, uh, that, um, Zuko calls out, he specifically says, you seem better or whatever was really the first moment that it dawned on me that she's not um, she's not being as over-the-top batshit crazy as she was the last time we saw her in the surf. Yeah, she's not, uh, she's not River Tamazula anymore. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes. So what do we, how do we feel about that? That she somehow has managed to, to, to cure herself or whatever? Well, she's, she's worked some shit out. Uh-huh. Um, not by, by, letting, shit. by letting the rest of the <laughs> loonies out of the loony bin. Exactly. Yeah. She, she now, she now has a purpose. Um, and that purpose is to, uh, she, she's accepted that she will never have the throne and wants to, wants to turn, uh, Zuko into the fire Lord that, uh, she thinks he should be. Um, so yeah, you know, discovering that her purpose is to undermine her little brother, uh, has given her a sense of stability that she hasn't felt in some time. Uh, Interesting, Arlo. You're the you're the huge Azula fan. So how did you feel about Azula here? I, I Ar is Arlo the huge Azula fan? Wait, I, 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 I thought that was Eric. I meant to say Eric. I apologize. Wow. So now you're confusing the two of us. Are you are you separate people? Are you different people? I didn't For... realize that. I feel well, like this this podcast is really about uh, identity. It is. Um, this raises a lot of existential questions for me. We we've been doing this podcast for approximately thirty years at this point, so I guess <laughs> we we're have. losing. I guess we're dementia setting in now. So, um, um, I liked it. You know, it's the only thing that makes it hard to judge is that we get so little of her because she doesn't really make her reveal until the end of uh, volume two mm -hmm. of it, I believe. So. We don't get a lot of it, but it feels like Azula, and I and I we I, you know, I talked about him not maybe not getting May perfectly before, but it's really impressive here that he Gene had only written um, uh, River Tam Azula as you said, like 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 crazy Azula earlier, and did a really good job with that. But this is his first time getting to write the Azula we knew through the series. So, which I love that we're making a distinction between crazy Azula and the Azula we're used to. Azula was always <laughs> fucking crazy, but uh, yeah, the, she, yes, no, Azula, Azula was Azula went from a focused version of yeah. of uh, Unhinged to someone who had 
totally lost their center. And and what I what I really like about this, and I'm curious if this is your read, uh, both of your reads on this too, but there's a thinness to Azula's composure that I don't think is she's still not as composed as she was before this. It still feels like she could break at some point. That yeah, that she has I, I cobbled there, together there's... her mind and cobbled together her focus on this the Zuko thing. But when it cracks, I feel like she could just she could lose it again. I'm I'm flipping again because I didn't make a note of where this was, but there's one uh there's one pan oh, I just flipped to it. Uh page one sixty eight. Um so I think this panel uh proves the thinness to her control or whatever however you just phrase that, Eric. Uh it's the fourth panel, like the middle panel on page one sixty eight, where you see in her eyes that yeah. River Tam Azula is still in there. <laughs> Yeah, right. no, yeah. and actually it builds up to it. Agura Hero's art in this is really great. Like, it, panel one is very normal Azula. Mm-hmm. Panel two is much more wide-eyed Azula than we usually get. Mm-hmm. Like, it, and then it builds to panel four where her eyes are totally bulging. And then by panel, whatever, six, the last panel, she's back to collected Azula again. Yeah, It's a yeah. really interesting progression across that whole page. Yeah, um, but, so yeah, I, I completely agree. I think there there is she's not a hundred percent the Azula we once knew. She she's a lot closer than she was back in the search. But like you said, there's still uh, like if you look at uh, another example is page one eighty five where we we kind of see that prog- progression again. Where in the third panel her eyes start to get a little wider than the f- the fourth panel she looks like she's about to cut a bitch. Um, <laughs> And Ukano is is literally sweating it. Um, so yeah, and I, and I think that goes beyond just Azula being scary. I think there's still, um, like you said, a, a thinness to her stability. She's she's on the, the edge. The, the Azula Gore Heroes Azula art overall is really fantastic. By the way, the 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 panels, the second panel that actually both panels that open up Volume Three on page one fifty five of Azula using lightning are two perfect panels. Yeah, they I'm, are. Absolutely perfect. I, w- I wanted to talk about this moment, when, which is the actual Azula reveal. Um, first, I want to ask how we how we feel about that. That is technically the Azula reveal because that's where uh, this this Kimurakage warrior uses lightning, and Zuko says Azula, and <laughs> it's weird because we talked about this. I think maybe in the last volume. Do you guys read the? the sidebar notes before you read the page or do you read the page then read the sidebar notes i was reading uh, what i was doing initially was i would read the whole book and then go back and read the side notes mm-hmm. but i feel like you guys told me that was dumb so i caved to peer pressure and just started reading them along with the story uh-huh. um and honestly it was, it was pretty helpful I'm I'm glad you asked this, Paul, because I was going to ask this exact same question earlier, and I actually forgot because we got into some more interesting topics than 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 the question at the time. But I always read the page that the note is on before I read the note. So, okay, I, I do that as well. So I and I but I don't go to the second page. So like if it's a two page thing, I read page one, and if there's a note on page one, I read page one, and I go to page two, and if there's a note there, I read it after reading page two. Okay, so I'm, whatever literally the page I'm on uh-huh. is what I read the note on. I went back and forth because I was originally reading the page and then I would read the footnote. And a couple of times that disturbed the flow because just like you said, there are a couple of times where it flows so quickly from one page to the next and and interrupting the story to go read the, the footnote kind of threw me off a, 
a couple times. So every once in a while, I was reading the footnotes first. Because let's be fair, a, a lot of the footnotes, and we can talk about this, a lot of the footnotes are kind of frivolous. Like, there aren't a lot of the footnotes in here right. that are super important. Some of them are really just kind of throwaway. This happens to be one of those pages where I read the footnote first before I read the page. And the footnote is, uh, this is Gene Luen Yang. He says, were you surprised by Azula's appearance? I hope so. The Kamurakagi are the embodiment of fear. Since Azula's most potent weapon is fear, it seemed fitting to make her the leader. And I was like, what? What the fuck kind of spoiler is that? And then I read the page and I was like, oh, okay, it's right there. <laughs> but um, anyways, so uh, it's interesting that that is technically the reveal, but then we go uh, several pages of like, right, I don't know, eight, eight or not. We go, so that's on page 152 and it's not till page 167 that that character takes off her mask and you see that it actually is Azula. Right. So that was enough time. That's enough pages where I started to doubt. Like we only had, uh, we only had Zuko's recognition that, uh, that this was Azula. Um, the I, fact, the fact that she didn't take her mask off for so long, I was like, Oh, maybe, it, maybe it's not. If I hadn't read that side note, I would doubt what it started to set in for me as well. Okay. Same. Same. Okay. I um. I, although I really like that Zuko is not stupid here. He recognizes his sister pretty much instantly. Yeah. As soon as as soon as she does something that in his head is an Azula thing to do, he knows it's her. He has no doubt that it's her, and and I believe that as someone who who grew up with someone that they would be able to identify them that mm -hmm. way, especially someone who's you as know, memorable yeah. as Azula. You know, when when he's not listening to Boulevard of Broken Dreams on repeat, he, you know he he gets he gets some shit right. He I was I was gonna say Azula is the subject on which you should never question Zuko's like knowledge. <laughs> when he when he talks about Azula, he knows whereof he speaks. Um, all right, so yeah, let's talk about the lightning the lightning fight that they get in because it's pretty badass. Um, was it? Here's a confession of mine. I'm just the tiniest bit disappointed that Azula can redirect lightning now too. But they're but as as Jean notes, they are using that to show that she now like she she has com collected herself enough that she uh, is showing great strength. Right. So no, I, I get mean, I, I, get I think that. it puts her on an even playing field. I th but see, I think she's always that. That's the thing. The being able to redirect lightning was one of the few like, like advantages or whatever that Zuko ever had over her, and now he well, doesn't. And have now she's anymore. taken it away because, of course, she would. So, you know, on one hand, I'm like, that's awesome. On the other hand, I'm like, oh man, I just, <laughs> I kind of, again, that's another thing that is taken away from Zuko. But whatever. What do you think about it, Eric? Uh, well, I like it because it, it it's an interesting. Um, combat um, echo of Azula's later point that that they're all the same family that that they're he's a lot like her that she doesn't have to be the the ruler because she can he can be the ruler and she can turn him into what she is so I, I think it 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 kind of connects them in a in a way that is tangible that supports the theme of what she's doing oh it's thematically tied into her. Her new mission, which is to redirect Zuko. Oh, there shit. There you go. There oh, you go. Shit. That just happened. Wow. Okay. Mike.
drop. <laughs> um, all right. Yeah, and the artwork in that fight, as as is typical of Guru Hero at this point, really, can we say enough uh, good things about the art? Uh, no, but, we we can never say enough good things about Guru Hero's artwork. But the the, oh, com- man. the combat art is just phenomenal. I, in fact, I, I'm flipping. I'm looking at the lightning fight, but on page 158, there's uh, who we now know as Azula, literally just bitch slapping Ty Lee. It's so brutal. The last <laughs> the last panel on page 158. That's so rough. Whack. And I like yeah. I like how Ty Lee gets a little ow. <laughs> It, it's it's this this art actually this fight the way it works is really great because there's a really great conversation early in the book between uh, May and Ty Lee where they yep. basically both admit that they are terrified of Azula mm-hmm. that they are terrified of Azula coming back and so her being in combat and Azula uh, just completely owning the fight is is a great it's set up so well it's like a brief bit of artwork that that. Uh, pulls the trigger on a very like nice tiny setup from earlier. Anyway, it's 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 a great note, but it's what? great. I have to say, it is, a, it is a testament, I think, to Gene Lewin Yang's writing that um, when they had that conversation, I I noted like I noted that moment, and then in my head I thought, I feel like that's not an accident. Or not a coincidence that they mentioned Azula. We're probably going to get some Azula soon, but I was still completely, you know, they had built the mystery of the Kamurai Kage up so much that I, I could, I had completely forgotten about Azula. Wow. Good yeah. Call. Yeah. And, and the thing that's interesting is, and this actually works really well. The reason it works is because nothing about the Kamurai Kage seems like an Azula type plot, which is the reason that it, it, it's a good surprise because Azula does have a reason for doing that. But on the surface of it, the way the Kamurakage are acting does not feel like Azula. Azula doesn't work behind a mask. She right, doesn't right. work in the shadows that way. She wants to be in charge. She's going to be the Fire Lord. So we are getting a different Azula. And so it works because she's in the background working in a way we don't expect. So that reveal really, really hits strong as a result. I love the callback on page 200 to that to their amazing yes. fight in the finale. Yes, I wanted to call that out um, while we're talking about artwork that is stunningly gorgeous. And, uh, and this Gene's... Has... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say Gene's comment on the side where he says, this is a nod to Zuko and Azula's final confrontation in the series finale. One of the most beautifully rendered martial arts fights ever, in my opinion. I completely agree, Gene. And yeah. And this and one other Zuko moment towards the front of the book, uh, page 61, 61, 62, I think it was. Yeah. I think you're going to bring up, you're going to bring up the exact other thing that I was going to bring up. So yes. The, the sort of fire tornado. The other callback, the other like season three firebending callback. Yeah. The, the fight, the, the multicolored fire tornado. Yes. Oh God. Cause when the, when it first happens on page 61, the last panel, I'm like, what, why is it green and purple and, what is happening? And then I read the footnote and they say it's a callback to the firebending masters. And then you turn the page and holy shit, those three panels of Zuko dispersing the fire, uh, exploding and then stand and then just commanding the crowd. I was like, you go Zuko, you are badass. Yeah. That is a, an awesome Zuko moment that he totally blows later by being an asshole the rest of the book. But <laughs> yeah. the yeah. brief moment, he is awesome. Oh, man. So, okay, well, 
I want to talk more about the artwork, but I, I, I think we need to get into um, a, a less fun topic first, um, okay. which is the, the wanker that, um, that May is involved with this whole book. Can we <laughs> oh, talk about whatever his name is? Kalo. Kalo. Okay. So what, yeah. what did you all think of Kalo? Uh, Paul, let's start with you. What did you think of Kalo? Um, I, I, let's be honest. I'm pulling for those two crazy kids, Zuko and May. I, I want them. So <laughs> here was my note. Um, uh, let's see. Where did I write this? Damn it. Uh, I said, um, the on-again, off-again relationship between her and Zuko is something I'm surprisingly invested in, though I would have understood and probably even liked May staying with Kalo by the end of the story, uh, just because it would have been a, bra- a, you know, a brave choice. Um, in my heart of hearts, I really want her and Zuko to work out in the long run. So that's kind of how I feel. He's, he's an interloper, in my opinion. I mean, he's fine. He kind of had a few... Uh, you know, minor heroic moments. I did want to ask you guys about what happened at the very end. Oh, the, uh, the sort of, uh, kind of sort of off screen breakup. Yeah. Uh, well, I think, uh, again, may, may is, uh, she just like everyone else in this book, she's working some shit out. I, I don't think she knows what she wants. And I think she's being, I want to say it feels like she's being cruel to Kalo, but again, we did not read mm-hmm. that free comic book day story where, you know, he, as she says at the beginning of the book, he was a patsy who was leading her on. So at least judging from this book, it, it does feel a little cruel the way she treats him. Yeah. But on page 223, it looks like th- this is where the breakup happens and it's silent. So we don't get to hear the conversation right. that happens, but it looks like he's breaking up with her. She's the one that looks devastated as he storms out. And the way I read that was oh. he's been, even though she's been throwing him in Zuko's face this entire time, he keeps turning around. Like every time he comes on screen or whatever, she's holding hands with Zuko or, or whatever. So I thought maybe he has just decided, okay, look, that's... I, I get it. You don't want me. You want him. But the thing you is, we don't get to hear who breaks up with whom. I, uh, but I, I like your read of it though, because I didn't think about it. I think that makes more sense with her having her, uh, you know, burying her face in her hands. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, I feel like um, in uh, uh, volume five or volume uh, six, when we get more of the Zuko show, um, I I think that's when we'll find out more about that. Um, But if you look at their last, um, because when the breakup happened, I flipped back to their uh, last interaction together, which I'm going to find the page number. I think the most exciting thing about the Avatar Returns is the number of times listeners have to hear us like flipping through pages, desperately <laughs> looking for something. Uh, page 201, their last uh, interaction, you know, he, she asked, are you okay? He says, yeah, but I have to tell you, before we started dating, I never used to get injured this often. She's like, you know what they say, love hurts. And he says, I guess it does. And like the mm-hmm. look on his face, like, I think maybe he's realizing what being with her entails, not just the Zuko stuff, I, I, but I, it, it's it's physical and emotional injury. I actually think they're both realizing it in that panel, because yeah. even the look on her face looks like maybe she's thinking about Zuko when she says that, and he's realizing she's thinking about Zuko when she says that. But. My, my big problem with this character, whose name I have once again forgotten, even K- though we have Kalo. discussed it. Kalo. Kalo. Uh, but this is this is a metaphor for my problem, which is that he is a profoundly dull character. 
Like, and it's not like he's useless. He's not annoying. Like, he does useful things in the story. He has legitimate emotions insofar as such a shallow, boring person can have them. Um, but he's really just not very interesting. There's really nothing. There's no spark there with the character. There's no, I don't know. I don't know. He was just like a, a bucket of bland. Yeah. Once again, I think maybe uh, we suffer by not having read his first appearance. Now, to be fair, okay. we, we shouldn't have to read that free comic book day comic in order to get this character. But maybe just maybe there was a little there that we missed. But I mean, so that con- that story, I believe, was called The Rebound. Mm-hmm. And he, he pretty much is the rebound. You know how after Angel or after Angel Buffy went to like dopey O'Reilly? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know. May has to, she, she was dating a, you know, moody, broody, you know, American idiot loving Zuko. And now she has to go for the, I love how, for the, I love how deep down the, the well you're going with this Green Day joke. And now, and now she has to go, go to white bread, you know, white, white bread Kalo. And I thought he, I look, I thought he was a nice kid. Then again, I like Riley. So what do I so know? Did I. So did I. By the way, Buffy went to Parker before she went to Riley. That's true. I, I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, May has a regrettable fuck in between too. You know. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Uh, wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. See, there it is. There's the Avatar state gone. The mercury poisoning has taken its toll. <laughs> and. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, well, what else? What else do we got here? Um, what else did we got? What else did we got? Um, so, okay. So we talked about, about wanker boy. So that's good. Um, so the other thing I want to talk about is, is relation to skater boy. Yeah. I I think Zuko is probably a big Avril Lavigne fan too. Jesus Christ. Probably. I mean, I don't know. I feel like, no, maybe, maybe I think, no, you know what? He was, when he was a kid, he feels embarrassed about it now and doesn't want to admit it. Azula Mm. teased him about it all the time, Mm. but in his heart of hearts, he still would like to listen to skater boy. You think now he listens to just like really like serious like classic rock, like that's what he's moved on to. Like he's just he, he's all about like you know, man, Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin were were real music. Hey, motherfucker, they were. Back no, off. I love, Pink, I love Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin. All right, your own personal Zuko. There you go, Paul. Um, <laughs> so no, so it, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> thanks. Your own personal Zuko. Thanks. Thanks, Arlo. Um, so there's two other things I want to talk about. One is a little bigger, um, which is Aang. We really haven't talked about Aang's role in the story. But um, before we get to Aang, who obviously is the main character, even though he's not really the main character of the story, um, can we talk a little bit about May's father, too, who's yeah. um, the other the other character who I um, struggled a tiny bit with um, his character arc? And again, we're probably going back to we didn't get his introduction in the rebound, but... Um, I, I, I had some rough patches with this character. What did, what did you all think? Arlo? I, well, was Ukano on the show? He, he wasn't, he wasn't named on the show, but he was on, he was in Return to Omashu. We saw him. He was, he was the one occupying Omashu when Tom Tom got supposedly kidnapped by the Avatar. I yeah I didn't I feel like I'm I'm going to continuously be the one who didn't have any of these problems. I didn't have a problem with uh with his character arc. I mean he, I you know he believes that 
<clears throat> Zuko is because here's the thing: if we're relating all of this back to Trump, because it's about authoritarianism, and he is Trump is the, the authoritarian that we're living under right now. Um, so, for relating this back to Trump, I think that um, Ukano is a good approximation of. Um, I think he's like a believable like Trump voter, in that um, he genuinely believes that the Fire Nation. Uh, is safer, you know, through strength. He's like the kind of he, he like he really admires Vladimir Putin. Would you okay. say that he's the Chris Christie of this administration? <laughs> that is that's actually a really good that's a really good comparison. I, I, I so was just I was just going to say believable Trump supporter is a or what do you say believable Trump voter? That's an oxymoron. Yeah. That's an oxymoron. Dude. Well, but here's the thing though: he genuinely believes that the Fire Nation uh, isn't safe anymore. And would be safer under a stronger leader. He has that uh-huh. that uh, misap or misapprehension, and he. I, I like that Gene grounds that that characterization in a believable emotion. You know, as the as the book progresses, we see him struggling more and more with what he's doing, but but trying trying to struggle, uh, trying to reconcile what he's doing with what he believes and by the end of the story he has he has realized um the error of his ways and gives himself up um but i i think it, i mean i think that's a good parallel to uh you know like i said uh, there are there are a lot of people that i know who voted for trump and none of these are bad people but they're they're complicit now in what's happening and some of them uh, are beginning to realize that and to regret it, and I feel like only, you know more of them will as time goes on. Um, so I don't know. I I, I thought that was uh, I, I thought he was very believable. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm 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 less with you on this one, Eric. He didn't. Uh, he certainly wasn't my favorite character in the book, but I I never felt bothered by him. It's you know I, I don't want to overstate my bother because it feels like I'm saying I like I didn't like these characters. Um, I think that in all of these cases, there was it. There was a spark that wasn't happening for me, um, which is a small thing, and it actually speaks to how good Gene Lan Yang's writing is. That I can call out. Well, that didn't come to life a hundred percent. It only really hit like ninety-five. You know, is like what I'm what I'm saying. It's just that I I felt a little, and I think it's actually like um, Ursa in that um, it. It seems to hit the same note maybe one too many times with mm-hmm. him. It maybe is my problem where his character arc has to stall for like almost a full volume in the middle. Mm-hmm. And it's not that his character arc is bad. It's just that he has to hit a point where he can't progress. And we have to keep seeing him because he's involved in the plot. And so there's this like middle point where he's just basically uncomfortable with his position but scared of Azula but – Still stuck in the situation, and but and anyway, so you get the, that that note played a couple of times, and I think maybe it was just that he didn't have a middle note to play, and so we have like a volume one version of him and a volume three vault version of him, but there's this middle story where he just doesn't get a chance to do anything, but we have to keep seeing him. I don't know if that makes sense, but I think that's probably better a better articulation of my feelings. Yeah. Um. You know. You know what. <laughs> What stands out, my enduring memory of this character from this volume is 
Well, aside from the way the character ends, because I, I do like the fact that he, he finally comes around. I like the fact that he goes from the villain of the piece to, to uh, having to spend time with Azula and realizing what villainy really is. Um, but uh, on page 73, page 73 and 74, sort of my enduring memory of Ukano, the character, is this what I thought was a joke that would pay off later, and then I guess just never really did. It's him begging the Kimurakagi. He's like, uh, give me a month. If that weakling is still on the throne, then... Uh, and then you flip the page, and it says, one month later. <laughs> I was like... Yeah. I was like, okay, well, I guess that month didn't go very well. And I, and I was expecting us to find out that... Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I was just expecting that month gap to to play a role, and it never really did. I mean, we can imagine that he his relationship with Azula solidifies during that month, I suppose. But still, I just expected that month to come back later. Yeah. Yeah. It, and I kind of feel like I can't tell if he succeeded or failed because they don't, I don't know because he's actually in on what happens. I don't know. Like that. Yeah. That yeah. That's exactly. That, that's it. It's, it's a little, he's a little bit off after that because he was terrified and begging at that point. And like from then on, it feels until the very end when she's really going over the edge and he's, he's become terrified again. But, uh, it seems like he's in on it after that. Like he's, he's, he no longer seems scared. He's not sweating all the time. He's smirking as he's manipulating these people. I don't know. So yeah, something definitely happened in that month. What do you think, Arlo? Are you, uh, were you not bothered uh, by this too? We, we should have read this, uh, this year's forthcoming free comic book day comic. I mean, maybe then we would have known. Yeah, that's probably what it is. All right. What was the other thing, Eric? You said there were two things. Well, the other thing I want to talk about was Aang. We have not talked okay. about Aang in this book directly. We've talked a little around him with the comedy that he's done, but mm -hmm. Aang is very much a supporting player in mm -hmm. this until near the end when they start digging into the the spirit stuff. But, um, I, Paul, I want to start with you, actually, since you're the, the newbie on this. How did you feel about Aang's role in the story? Uh, well, I, I want you guys to, to delve into this deeper with me or for me because – really my notes about him were as I was sort of taking notes on the character arcs that happened in this. And he was the last one I came to. And uh, my note basically was that he didn't really have that much to do. He was, he had that one moment where he was kind of the voice of reason uh, that, that really kind of gets ignored basically, um, which seems to be part of his shtick kind of, um, but that really he was just there to to sort of provide a side quest opportunity so that we could hang out with some of the ancillary characters like Tylee and Suki. Uh, and we did get some of the best Zuko, May and Kalo triangle comedy moments, like Arlo already said, happened in the, the sort of Aang subplot story that was going on. But yeah, I felt like mostly Aang was there. This was 98% Zuko's story and Aang was was hardly in it. Yeah. And doesn't have a lot to do either. I mean, like he, you said he like, he gets he his big role. And I actually do like that. This is his role is that he's integral to proving that the Kamurakage are not spirits. Mm -hmm. um, and you get some really cool stuff with that. I actually really like that bit of the plot, but, uh, but other than that, he just he he he's a side player, which is okay because, as Arlo said, this is just the revelation that Zuko is always the main character. So it's actually <laughs> it's, it's actually it's not a, it's not a problem, but it is interesting because this is the least active Aang has been, I think, in any of the 
the yeah, books. yeah, and actually, how big a role did he play in in discovering that the Kamurakagi are not spirits? I mean, the the spirit appeared to him and and explained, "No, I I told you from the since the time of the first Fire Lord till this moment, we have never visited your world." So they tell Aang that, but they're only down there because Zuko said, I have an idea where we can go look for answers. So even if Aang hadn't been there, I mean, I, I suppose maybe the spirits wouldn't have, uh, wouldn't have appeared to anybody. Although it was May reading, wasn't it May reading that scroll that... Oh, that's that summoned the spirit, yeah. Yeah. So really, did Aang even need to be there? We could have gotten all that information just because... Prob- just yeah. with Zuko. But but again, it's it's Avatar the Last Airbender. Again, it's it's secretly the Zuko show. They have to have Aang around as window dresser. Oh, I know. I'm I don't mind that he was there. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying he he actually didn't even really play an integral he, role. He there. Re- he really doesn't do much in this book. Though I think there's a little more going on with him. And I think this might be something else that uh they're setting up for the next volume. This uh, this is he, where Aang is. That's why he's not in the next book. Is that where you're okay, going? Yeah. Well, no, uh, I was thinking on page 85, um, when he's saying goodbye to uh, Katara, you know, he's uh, oh, you know, yeah. a, a, he's apologizing for the fact that, you know, he's not going to be able to go with them. And uh, he says, I'm sorry, Katara. And she hugs him and she says, nothing to be sorry about. It just comes with dating the Avatar. And there's that look on his face. Mm-hmm. And the only parallel I can really make to anything in this volume is um, that stuff with Kalo and May toward the end when they mm-hmm. have that sort of realization of what life is going to be like. But I, I think, I, I don't know, I think that might just be more preamble for the next volume. I, I'm glad you pointed that out. I, that, again, that's one of my notes that I'm skipping over. Uh, but I did love that final panel uh, because it does look so serious. Like the rest of that page, maybe just because uh, Sokka is in every panel except that the rest of that page is a little bit more lighthearted, but that panel is really serious and looked very portentous. And we know because we've watched the first book of Korra, um, we know that, that Katara and Aang stay together. Uh, yeah. But we don't know what their relationship is like between this and then. So. Before be, then, that what maybe will finally break them of this disgusting sweetie talk. <laughs> okay, I want to. I, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about this. So, um, so when May is playing uh-huh. uh, Kalo, she uses Babe, and then uh, Gene says in one of the side notes, I think it's on page twenty-two, that he got Babe from uh, a couple friends of his, and that he cringed every time he heard it. My question is, is that like, I feel like Babe is a pretty common, pretty common nickname. I don't know. Is that really a cringy nickname? But basically the question I'm asking is, what do we, what do the, do each of us call our respective sweethearts? Do we we have anything better? I didn't necessarily think Sweetie deserved the oogies that, uh, (laughs) that they gave Sokka either. Sweetie and Babe are both pretty tame. Whoa, whoa, whoa. There's a gulf between Sweetie and Babe. Okay, so, whoa, explain so babe is babe is like is can be totally casual i will say that it it receives a a potency bonus from coming out of may's mouth so may right. saying babe right. is definitely disturbing but on the merits i would say sweetie is a much harder term to hear with that regularity <laughs> in public 
between a couple. A, okay. a couple that, that uses the word babe between each other, I would not blink at. A couple that was constantly calling each other sweetie, I would be like, what show are you putting on for the world right now? Okay. That's a good point. I mean, I, I, do, I do use sweetie sometimes. It's, there's a difference between sometimes and the relentless assault. Of- <laughs> That's true. Well, but my question still stands. The listeners want to know more about our personal lives. I'm sure they do. Um, what, like, what, what are your guys's names? In, in private, we we use we use honey. A lot, I will say. That's 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 a, that's the deepest look into my life that anyone's ever gotten in a podcast. So there you go. Yeah, you know, honey is one that actually that we don't use. And like, whenever, and I've noticed it's not just when she's talking to me, but whenever Amber decides to be to, to condescend to someone, she uses hun. Uh-huh. And so honey doesn't really get a lot of play between the two of us. I, I'm struggling with this. I think probably. Do you just call each other Mr. and Mrs. Smith? Is I mean, it very I, mean I, I, call her wom- I call her woman a lot. I'm like, hey, woman. Um, do you really? I, I really do. Wow. I really do. I really do. Um, okay, I, don't feel bad. I don't feel bad about my admission of the honey thing now because Paul takes the cake and awfulness on this one. There I, you go. I think, but we're being, we're being playful. I think maybe I, 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 think maybe I use, I've probably used sweetie before, but the revelation I want to get to here is that Pam uses like a sort of endearing term for me much more than i ever use she calls me monkey oh oh that's just what she calls me it's cute is it because, is it because you're like a, a king kong style monster exactly who, calls her, who goes around grunting woman <laughs> that's exactly it um, yes while beating his chest um but to, to answer my own question i think we uh we use uh love i think is the most frequent one we call each other love like spike and drusilla um, I, th- I think we, we use love and babe pretty pretty regularly. I don't know right. if we have any like super. So she she likes calling me Alro to piss me off. But <laughs> Alro, Alro, oh, that one's coming back. That but one's coming but back. Uh, apart from that, I don't think we have any. You know, and we don't have any any monkey business. Oh, well, you're lost. Okay, that was a fascinating uh, deep dive. I thought it would. I thought it would be an interesting detour. <laughs> um, do Do we have anything else about this volume that we need to cover? Um, just uh, some small moments that I liked. Um, on page forty seven, uh, there's that panel where um, the new Ozai Society is shouting "imposter, imposter," um, and it's it's laid over um, Kiyi like refusing to allow Ursa to touch her and not feeling like mm-hmm. she's her mother. And I thought that was a nice, mm-hmm. subtle moment. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, looking, uh, I'm looking through my notes. I feel like there were a few other. Wait, have we, have we not talked about fire dagger fight? We, we have not. We haven't fired. Yeah. I'm just saying we could not get out of this without talking about the fire dagger fight. Paul, you okay. are the resident lover of the combat here. Come on, you, you get first crack at this. Okay, before we get to that, I just want to call out my favorite character design, like my favorite character artwork in this entire book. goes to a complete random background character. On page 172, the old woman whose, whose house or shop or whatever is getting turned over by the, by the, the soldiers looking for... Um, <laughs> Yes, that's a great character. I, I don't know why, but I freaking love that old woman. I want her to come back. Um, I know okay. she's. I want her to be the the my cabbages. Um, yes, 
of the Avatar comics. Yes. Um, all right. So Dagger Fight. Let's see. Where does that start? Um... Page. Uh, let's see. I think it's a. Is it two oh nine? Yep. There you go. Good call. Okay. So. Yeah. Oh, and then we flash back to the fire whips. Yeah. 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 All right. The the real fight two twelve is where it really kicks off. Um. I mean, Gene says we wanted Zuko and Azula's fight to feel grittier than any of their previous fights, hence fire daggers. I'm not sure this is grittier than their fight in the oh. in the Avatar finale, but I get what he's going for, um, and it is awesome. Like it, it it does make it a little more, I don't know, uh, close in, up, in, intimate and personal, maybe just because they're face to face while they're fighting. I, I wish he'd given, like he he'd showed out a little better than he does. I mean, he gets taken down pretty quick, which. I guess when you go hand to hand with Azula, that's what happens. But um, yeah, no, it's a great fight. Uh, I don't think we've seen, I mean, we've seen characters, particularly Zuko. Zuko loves him some fire daggers. I can't remember if we've seen like dagger against dagger before. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think we have. I honestly would have liked to have seen a little more of it because mm-hmm. it feels like it's over pretty quickly. Yeah, it's just two pages. Yeah. It is over pretty quickly, but there is a great pure anime like moment at the bottom of two twelve mm-hmm. where they're Screaming, charging ah. each other. Yeah, it's it's like it's great. It's the like charging at each other, punching kind of uh, comic book moment, but um, it's it's pretty good. I like it. I like I especially like Guru Hero's colored lines behind the two of them. Like it's the color of their fire right behind them in the in the like uh, starburst pattern. It's pretty cool. I like it. I like it. Um. Oh, and um. Speaking of Guru Hero art, I I forgot. Okay, there's a great thread in the Guru Hero notes about how they went to China and did a lot of yeah. uh, put a lot of notes when they went through. And there is, and someone I hope it's in your notes page number, but somewhere in there they go to a graveyard. Yes, and and there is like these dome shaped graveyards, and and it's, I, I, if I remember the note, it was like what you're the page uh, 188 and 189. 188 189. So like there's a whole note from um, Gene on this and then um and then theirs is like we base this on our notes yeah they, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, they say we, we use the tomb we saw on our trip to china as reference <laughs> it's gonna be there's like there's like a paragraph and a half of gene comments about <laughs> this area and and girl here's notes is just we used our we used our research that's a great but, uh that's a great like double page spread uh, once again we, we talked about this in previous volumes their layouts are pretty uh, and this works to their advantage. Their layouts are pretty standard where most pages are, you know, a, a four, five, six sort of panel grid. Uh, and they only occasionally break panel borders or use unusual panel layouts. And very rarely, like two or three times per volume, I think, they uh, they go for a full page or a well, double and page. I, I, and I think there are a couple other stunners immediately after that. On page 198, you have the splash page of uh, the gang surrounded by the Kamurakage. And then on page 191, I continue to be impressed with how Guri Hero handles wordless sequences. And you have you know, Iroh searching for anyone, and he comes upon a very uh, depressed Ursa. Yeah. And just the way he approaches her, sees her, sees what she's holding, and, and kneels next to her is, so, is so, such a beautiful moment. And it's just... It's, I, I think they, they are such fantastic artists. I mean, really, why are they not in the conversation like right now? Like, why are they not, you know, because, part, of, part of the Pantheon right because now? Because they're doing Gwenpool. That's why. 
well, okay, all right. There, there is that, but still. Yeah. No, I agree. Also, I, uh, page uh, one, uh, page one ninety. The that you called out the Kamurakagi surrounding them in the graveyard. That's a great page. I also just love the back, the artwork on the back of this book, the back cover. Oh yeah. It, yeah. Oh, it's great. Actually, speaking of the cover, okay, so yes, this back cover is phenomenal. But uh, looks okay, front cover wise. Mm-hmm. This is a great front cover. Mm-hmm. I went back and looked at the first volume's front cover, and it is trash. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it. It doesn't look like uh, the cover for this volume looks like a a page out of the book, and the cover for the first volume looks like. Uh, uh, a photoshopped movie poster, like fan poster or something. A, a photoshopped version of someone else's art too, or of like sketches, like the the faces of like of the two big faces, whatever. Um, Ozai and, and Ozu. O- Ozu. Ozu. <laughs> they, they their faces look not well drawn. I mean, everything yeah. about it looks unfinished. Like it just looks unfinished and crappy. And now I'm wondering, when did the covers get good? Was it only the first one that wasn't good? Or I don't know. I've got all the volumes right here. Let's see. Because this one's good. This one's this one's really nice. Volume. Well, I'll be honest with you. Go ahead. Oh, go, go ahead. I was just gonna say that we've got the supplemental material on the back of these where it shows their various attempts at the covers, so we could compare and contrast. Let's see. Volume two is. I'd say it's a step up from volume one. It's the entire gang all kind of standing in a circle, and you've got Azula with the lightning going there too. Um, it doesn't look like a photoshopped fan poster. It looks a little more like a page. Um, volume three, uh, you're you're almost a little bit back to the to volume one. <laughs> it's just yeah, I, it's I, just uh, Ang and Toph with uh, an image in the background. I have not been super impressed with any of the front covers, including this one. It just I I know I'm I'm glad you guys are big fans of it, and I'm not so like the the actual like character design and stuff is good, but it just it looks it's like dramatically inert to me. Like this is not an exciting cover to me. I don't no, feel... that's fair. I'm not saying these are a great cover. I I just as I was maybe being overstating the things I didn't like on this book, um, <laughs> but this one actually feels like someone took the time to finish it. See, <laughs> see, I had this same thing, the same issue with. I think I've mentioned this in maybe every volume where if you look through the supplement supplemental material in the background, the sketchbooks, they show the, the various, their various attempts at the covers. Now these are the covers for the, like the individual books, not the, right. not this hardcover, but um, almost without exception, I prefer versions of the covers other than the ones that they ultimately went with. I mean, do you, do you think part of that is uh, is marketing, though? Like, uh, I don't know if they have the final say in which design they go with. I'm, I'm sure there's an element of marketing in it. Like, I'm sure they come up with ideas and then they, they submit them. And uh, somebody, either Brian and Michael or, or I, I don't know. It's, it's, pro- it's probably not Brian or Michael. It's probably someone in the marketing division at Nickelodeon yeah. or Dark Horse. So, so I have a question. What is... Um... What's going on on the um, one two thirty four and two thirty five covers, where they're labeled as the promise? What the hell's happening? Oh, I, oh th- I think they were just using that for reference to sketch out the back cover. Yeah, they've done that in all of them. It's been the same. They just use the same template to show, uh, <laughs> and they they just they've all said the promise. So okay, it's, I it's, had missed that in previous volumes. All right, that's another example. So one of my few nitpicks about these library editions is that the 
in some instances, not all, but in some instances, the the uh, sort of footnotes or whatever are a little bit lazy and kind of like I I wish we could go a little deeper, right? With, with some of the footnotes. And at this point, four volumes in, the the sketchbooks and stuff in the back are really, uh, they're really rote. Like they're just following the same format every single time, to the to the point where they're just using the same template of the promise right <laughs> every single time right. like i wish they'd put just a little more effort maybe into some surprising material in the back well hey i want to i want to say a positive thing about the art that doesn't it actually doesn't have anything to do with gray hero um i want to actually praise the lettering because lettering mm. is is a, a very um it's a crucial but but very easily sort of glossed over aspect of of comics as a medium so I, I think a really cool effect. The lettering here is done by Michael Heisler. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go to page 98, I love when they're opening the uh, the, the dragon bone catacombs. Mm-hmm. Um, the circular fushes around oh, yeah. uh, the opening. <laughs> That's just a really cool, subtle effect that you that most people probably wouldn't think twice about. But you know, being that this is a visual, a purely visual medium where there is no sound, that's such a great way of conveying the sound and where it's coming from and how how it's uh, crucial to the action going on. Um, I, I love that kind of stuff, and I think I just thought that was a really cool effect, and I wanted to single it out. Um, you're right. Actually, there's there's three good examples. Two on that page, and then one on the next page. There's the foosh foosh circular fire. Then there's the rumble yeah. as it's going down. And then on the next page, in the corner of one of the panels, you've got the little shuffle shuffle <laughs> as they hear someone making yeah. noise in the other room. <laughs> shuffle the, shuffle. The question I have, I'd like to see the original art uh, of this because sometimes uh, diegetic, sometimes sound effect things like that are oh, done right, are done right. by the artist. Not always. But, so that could still be the letterer, but sometimes things like that are the artist. But that seems, to me, looking at the image, and I could be completely wrong, that seems separate enough from the actual artwork. Yeah, but they do all their artwork digitally now, remember? That's that's true. But also, Guri Hero are not native English speakers. That's, yes, good point. So I, I have no idea. All I know is whether it's Michael Heisler or Guri Hero, that's a cool effect. Yeah. So... All right. Oh, we totally forgot to mention the fact that they were drugging those kids. I had I had wondered. Yeah, they were. I had wondered because every time we saw them uh, abducting a child, the child they're jumping around and fighting and running away, and the kids are always asleep. And I'm like, that that child would not still be asleep while it's being bounced around like that. And at one point, I I can't remember if it's Azula or just one of the other uh, Kamurakagi, says something about the uh, the sedative wore off early on this one or something. So they're very obviously drugging the kids. <clears throat> and I wondered if it was their smoke, because there's the scene where Aang inhales some of that smoke and gets, um, I don't know, kind of, he, he doesn't pass out, or but, but he kind of gets put off his game when he sucks in some of that smoke in a fight later on. So I wonder, yeah. if, I wonder if, they have, if they're drugging people while they're fighting. Yeah, that's actually a good point. I I actually find the the mechanics of how they appear and disappear a little murky. I kind of let it go because it works well for the story, but mm-hmm. yeah. I don't really understand how they're pulling off the some of the escapes they do. I mean, I realize we learned that there's a secret passage that Azola goes through. I get mm-hmm. that. Um, but it, it's a little hand-wavy, which is fine, yeah. but it's hand-wavy. My, my question, 
they probably had secret passages in a few instances, but you're right. A lot of that stuff is, is uh, like <laughs> Hollywood dramatics or whatever. Well, it's um, like, uh, but my question like was, the... my question was, we know Azula can kick everybody's ass handily, but these other women are just other women that were in the, the institution. How are they such badass fighters? Azula put them through their paces. Really? I don't, I don't know, dude. I didn't think about it. In the, in the, in the weeks or maybe month it's been since the end of the search, she's managed to well, whole, free all these women. Mo- and... A whole month passes at one point in this book. Okay, that's true. So we'll give it two months. But still. I mean, look, if you had Azula in like an Arlie Ermy style role, <laughs> you'd, you'd, you'd whip into shape pretty damn quick yourself. Oh, God. Missed opportunity for Arlie Ermy to have done the voice for Azula. <laughs> beautiful damn all right as far, is... as far as them using the smoke i think it's just like in the like in the the ninja turtles movie where like tetsuo is like vanish and then just drops like a whatever he drops and there's just smoke and everyone starts coughing and they get to run away like that's, that's, that's that works that's how that works that works all right um they're, they're basically the the kamurakage are, are basically the foot clan <laughs> Sure, sure, I'll go with that. Uh, do we think they're going to stick around? Do we yes. think th- that's just Azula's group now? Is the Kamurakage? I think, that, I think that's uh, that's her that's her band now. Those are her people. Okay, they're going on the road. That's right. <laughs> they're going to do Green Day covers. <laughs> I can't wait for their version of a uh, what's her name. God, all right, we cannot. Until, we until she wins Zuko back over to her side. They they perform uh, Jesus of Suburbia. Oh my uh, God! In the Fire Nation capital. I don't. Oh know. God, this has got to end. This has got to end. <laughs> we, we're not we're not getting any better. So, uh, any closing statements? Then they, they hold up a they hold up a hand shaped grenade, <sighs> uh, let it loose, and then there's a smoke bomb and they vanish. Okay. Um. <laughs> on that, okay, on that well, note, that's very nice. That's <laughs> yes. very nice. We'll pat you on the head for that. Um, now you have to ask me to do some predictions. They're going to be just as good as that. All right. Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to your predictions. Um, right, in, right. in the meantime, so four volumes in, still digging these things. I still think Jin uh, Yang and Gura Hero are fucking on point. They are on their game. Um, it'll be interesting. I... It'll be interesting to transition over i mean we're not giving up avatar but to move into the cora comics because we have such a fondness for this creative team on these books i mean di martino is going to be writing so it should in theory should be amazing writing but and i've seen irene ko's artwork it looks great uh, but you never know how the two are going to combine so if you look at the the back of the book where it's like the other comics you can buy there's that Avatar: The Last Airbender, The Lost Adventures. Yeah, I've the got that, artwork actually. on the front of that thing makes me recoil in disgust. I, I actually have that. I'm I'm holding it in my hand right now. Um, I have not read any of these stories in here, but I'm flipping through it, and good lord! So, Wait, what? What is this? Wait, what is the artwork? What? It's Avatar: The Last Airbender, The Lost Adventures. It's one of the little digest-sized things uh, that came out before this series of graphic novels did. Uh, and it's it's a uh, it's just short stories. A lot of them are uh, are written by the show creators. Uh, a lot of them are episodes that never got produced, and so they turned them into comics. Um, so I'm sure they're I'm sure they're good. I haven't read them, but I'm flipping through it, and some of them have pretty good art, not Guru Hero art, um, but some of them are are awful. 
The art in, that, that, in some of them is terrible. That co- that cover artwork is hideous. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's not good. Anyways, so uh, still it's, loving. It's, still it's loving better than the cover artwork of Volume One of the. <laughs> it is not. It is not. It is a thousand percent better Man, because it looks like just... someone finished it and they didn't rip a page out of Guru Hero's notebook that they never finished. <laughs> on the oh boy. Oh, anyway, sorry, Paul. Go ahead. All right, all right, we're done. So thank you, everybody at home, for joining us. As always, you can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website, theavatarreturns.com. Uh, links will also be posted on our parent show's site, gobbledygeekpodcast.com. You can also subscribe to the show on iTunes. Make sure you never miss another exciting episode. While you're there, please be a hero and rate us or write us a review. Help spread the word. If you'd like to contact us, like uh, Timothy and Alice did, uh, if you want to write us glowing praise um, or anything, please send your correspondence to Monkey Yahtzee. You don't have to include that part, but it would be funny. Um, at uh, the address tarpodcast at gmail.com. And of course, you can always find us on social media, facebook.com slash the avatar returns or twitter.com slash TAR podcast. And on Twitter, I am at haunt 1013. Eric is at salon. That's S A A L O N. And Arlo is at unplugged crazy. Uh, Next, next week. In fact, for, for the first time in living memory, we are not skipping a week or two or six between episodes. So next week, not a hoax, not an imaginary story. The Avatar Returns will finally be tackling our white whale as we dive into the final season of The Legend of Korra with Book 4, Balance. Arlo, here's your chance to shine mm. as you give us predictions for chapters in a season you have no idea what it's going to be like yet. Cracking my knuckles, I'm ready. All right, so here we go. We will be covering... Chapters 401, After All These Years. Um, that is uh, clearly uh, in the years since American Idiot came out in 2004. It's been a number of years. Um, it's about uh, just the, the appreciation of uh, the work that they did on that album and how, how prescient it was. <laughs> okay. It's, it's really just a Green Day appreciation. Okay, great. <laughs> 402, Cora Alone. Um, that's, uh, Cora's, uh, it's like the vagina monologues, but it's Cora. It's her one woman show. Oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. Oh, I, come I, on, I, I got, you got one more of these. We got one more of these. I need to catch my breath after that. And finally, 403, the coronation. Um, it's Cora, uh, that, that's her fan club, the coronation. <laughs> Thank you so much for going for coronation on that. I was, was really hoping that's where you'd go with that one. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's all about her fan club. God, that's like you can like mail away for like a little like a little booklet or whatever. Uh, well, for uh, uh, autograph, if she's if she's functional enough to even like lift lift her arm to sign something, because at the end of a the end of book three, she could you know couldn't move. <laughs> Well, listeners, uh, tune in next week to find out how they close. They put a pin in her mouth and just like bend her head close to the paper. Just please, try... please, in spite of everything that he just said, in spite of the vagina monologues thing, please tune in next week and see how close Arlo came with any of those. Not very close. Um, I'm, I'm right about the Green Day thing, though. Yeah, you're dead on with I'm that. I'm right about so. that. 
until then, remember, I find that method acting works best for me. How can I wave with angst if I don't feel the angst? I walk a lonely 